Wars All In is a community of fans for all things Star Wars. We want to share our fandom with you, and we'd love for you to share yours with us. Find us on Twitter and Instagram by searching Star Wars All In. Also, search on Facebook to join in the conversation with our private group. We would love to hear from you. It's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show where we go all in and all the details of the galaxy far, far away. Hi, everybody. My name is Mac. I'm going to be one of your hosts, and I'm always joined by my fellow Mandalorian clan mate, Ross. Mac, this week we have three incredible topics, two really long topics, and one really quick, short topic. But you know what? I think we're going to explore all of them equally exhaustively. Yes. Now... Before we dive into our topics, though, there is Mm -hmm. one important matter to attend to. Indeed, it's time for another gift-giving from the Wookiee Life Day number one fan. And last (laughs) week, we gave away a hardcover first edition copy of Alexander Freed's Star Wars Battlefront Twilight Company. And the winner was... Jules underscore Conk. Hey, congratulations. We hope you enjoy your book. I know we've already talked. Your book is on its way. Please... From Mac and I to you, enjoy this novel. It's a great one. But because we are still in our season of giveaways, we have something new. Now, I did have a plan, but because of our conversation tonight, I have changed my mind on what we're giving away. This week, we are giving away a paperback copy of Master and Apprentice. Ah, appropriate. It is such a great book. We're talking about Gwaigon Jin tonight, mm-hmm. and I will save what I was going to give away this week for next week, because this week we're talking about Gwaigon. Master and Apprentice is a great book. I'm going to send someone a copy, brand new paperback copy. I don't even own it yet. I'm going to buy it on Amazon and <laughs> send it to you. Because I want a Star Wars friend out there to have this book. It's so And good. then we can talk about it once you've read it, okay? Maybe you can send us a voicemail or something. Okay. So we'll talk about that. But check out our Twitter starting today, Wednesday. Uh, let's see. To put a date on this in case you're listening to this, not when <laughs> in, it comes out. In the future where this won't matter and you can't win this. Uh, November 20th, 2019. Yes. So if it is between November 20th and November 24th, 2019, you have a chance to win this book. Head on over to our Twitter and you can see all of the ways you can win. Uh, Star Wars All In. Just search that on Twitter. Uh, check it out because we are going to send someone a copy of this absolutely absolutely incredible claudia gray novel maybe the best canon novel in star wars besides the revenge of the sith novelization i'll ride that horse till i die Mm -hmm. you want to read this book if you haven't let us send you a copy from star wars all in 
Which leads us into one of the reasons this book has been shuffled to the top is because we're talking about Qui-Gon Jinn, but what we're talking about tonight is these three topics. We're doing a big dive into something that's coming up right now. It's appropriate to our time and place right now because we are celebrating the 20th anniversary of Lego Star Wars. We're going to talk about the sets that were originally thrown out there in 1999, which is 20 years ago now, and we're going to talk about what it was like, some of the toy features, and kind of just explore it a little bit. Then we're going to do our exhaustive deep dive on Kitster, Anakin's best friend from episode one. That sounds pretty wizard, Mac. It's going to be great. And then we take a little bit more time discussing Qui-Gon Jinn in a pretty good detail and we get pretty deep if you're in for yes. some philosophical mind-opening conversations you're going to get that because we're going to talk about lego star wars for about an hour kitster for a lot less than that and we're going to also talk about qui-gon for about an hour so buckle up it's yeah. going to be a real good one. highly recommend sticking around for the qui-gon topic um i think it's one of the best conversations we've had yet and just take a listen right after this You got parts for a pod racer? Why, you building one? Lego and Star Wars join forces so you can build authentic Lego Episode One pod racers. Command Gungan subs. Pilot Naboo fighters. Battle Darth Maul Sith infiltrators. You've got what it takes to win the day. If you win, we split the 50-50. The new Lego Star Wars Episode One collection. Each set sold separately. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there was Star Wars. And about 20 years ago, in a toy store near you, Lego brought Star Wars to you. Does that work? Yeah. Yeah, It works. Yeah. 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 So, we're going to talk a little (laughs) bit about the 20th anniversary, (sighs) sorry, I shuddered as I felt old, um, of the Lego Star Wars Partnership. We're going to talk a little bit about what that first year looked like, a little bit about how that partnership came together, and just lightly touch on the legacy of what what we have since then. So, all right, um, where do we start? Let's start about 1999. 1999. Does that sound like a good place to start? Now, anyone who was alive in 1999 and had any ability to cognitively interpret the world <laughs> was aware of Star Wars. Yep. Episode one was coming out that May. You couldn't avoid it. It was on pizza boxes. It was on soda. It was on toothpaste. It was on candy. It was on toys, beach Uh. blankets, playing cards, comic books, cartoons. Everything in the universe was pointing towards Ada's new Star Wars. (laughs) Now, I have a magical experience about how I found this out. But I think we've kind of touched on it here and there. If you've listened, if you're, if you're, what do we we call them? If you're a completist. Sure. And you're arriving at this episode having listened to everything we've produced up to this point, which, bless your heart. But for for most people, if you haven't listened to my entire life story as we've been going through this, um, for me, episode one merchandise was I went on a trip for school to an amusement park a state away. And I came back and my parents said, hey, last Friday night, they had a whole bunch of Star Wars stuff. We bought you some stuff. And just How laid nice it out. Them. It was wow. super nice. What did they get you? 
Um, so they got me a, um, it was a, we'll go through leading up to the crown jewel. Uh, they got me, it was a Darth, uh, Maul, like a Rubik's cube. Oh, that sounds fun. They got me a, it was a sort of a Darth Maul watch, but it basically was oh, a flip top. That I was had like, that his head flipped up and it came in a lightsaber tube. Ours must be similar, but it's okay. not the same because mine was the, the, the pro droid he uses was the face that oh, flipped up. Okay. And then the band had like the kind of like the red and, and black kind of zebra printy thing okay. that's his face. Uh, probably similar line. I wonder because I feel like I had a mall and a 3PO uh, watch. I think there's like a that. bunch. And it's kind of funny because like we say watch as in you flip it up and there is a four digit readout of time. Yeah. And I laugh because I have an Apple watch. So. 20 years is a long time. If I still had my Darth Maul episode one watch in working condition, I would put aside my Apple watch, I think. At no. least for you, wait, wait, wait. important you, dates. You don't have to. A, you've got two wrists <laughs> and you got enough those. room to put a few on yeah. there. All right. I'm going to see if I can get one for the Rise of Skywalker premiere. Hold on. That's... Remind me in two hours to look up episode one watches on eBay. All right. I'll let you know if I buy one. I find it ironic that you talked to your watch Mm -hmm. to tell you to buy a different watch. Sorry, watch. As I say, does it have a complex now? No, Um, it it knows. It knows it's safe. Um, and there's a couple other things. I think I got. I think they got me some like. uh, I think it was like just like candy, which was just like just like uh, almost like an Altoids tin, but it had Star Wars stuff on it. Like I don't remember everything in theirs, but the the crown jewel that was like uh. Because I didn't have the internet. No. Or not in that way. Sure. And my mind was exploded where they like, oh, and we also got you this. And it was the first time I had ever seen the N1 Starfighter. <gasps> and it was in Lego. And I'm like, look, I've been following a lot of this Star Wars stuff. So this ship, I think maybe I saw it, but I didn't know what it was. Yeah. But I'm like, this is the main, this is the X-Wing of episode one. And then it's like, and there's Lego. Lego and Star Wars are in the same box. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah. And we also got to this. And it was the uh, droid Starfighter to go with oh, it. And yeah. my mind was just melting because it's like I couldn't even begin to comprehend that Star Wars, which, again, if you were a Star Wars fan at the right age group, which I was like on the high end, but right in the impact zone of yeah. the target demographic. um, It was everywhere this thing that in yep. the early 90s i thought was really cool but like it's weird thinking of i love star wars growing up but that yeah. was not like it is now where like yeah. oh like in star wars is like liking lord of the rings or like harry and Potter. like everyone has a couple of geekdoms we get it like mm-hmm. i liked star wars and most of my friends were the other people i got to know who liked star wars like there wasn't this huge swath and everyone had like maybe a positive opinion about star wars but in 99 it was like this validation of everything up to my young <laughs> life of like, hey, not only is Star Wars back, but everyone for like one solid year likes it as much as you do. Yeah. Um, And so, of course, I busted it open. I built it fairly quickly and was just zooming it around and yeah. stuff uh, and constantly worrying I was going to break the tail of it off because it was one of the very long antenna yep. pieces. And I'm like. It only has the one little nub to hold on to, and it, it's going to break. It's going to break. It's going to break. Do you still have those sets? Um, Yes. Uh, all my Lego is in storage. And I think 
most of the Star Wars ones I think I kept together. Okay. Because uh, c- I know exactly what box it might be in because um, that Christmas I got like the big kahuna set from that initial wave. Which was the Pod Race, the Boot to Eve classic. So we'll talk about that more in a minute. I received that, and I'm pretty sure I know that where that is. So those are probably around it. Okay, very nice. Uh, Well, I didn't have a Lego Touchstone in 1999. I have a few very strong Episode One memories. I was eight years old, so I was a little bit younger than you. You're basically like you and I bookended the Target demo. Yeah, you were what about fifteen? Yeah, fourteen, fifteen. Right going there. Into it. So we, you know, we, we have a little bit of an age gap, and so for me, it was coming strong off the special editions. I had only seen Star Wars for the first time, oh, about four years before this, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I had this really strong fandom of this is this thing I love. I mean, more than anything. I mean, I had lots of things I liked as a kid, but. Star Wars was the number one, especially in that time frame, the toys and Shadows of the Empire and the things that had brought me in. But for me, the Legos were non-existent. I wasn't I, I maybe had a few Legos, but, I, you know, they were too complicated for me. It just wasn't my thing. Sure. So I had action figures and I had the Pepsi cans and I have this vivid memory of sitting in our where, where we went to get our haircut where my mom took me oh, okay. and so my mom would be there you know getting her haircut and i'd be waiting for my turn and she'd give me a 50 cents or whatever it was to buy a soda out of the vending machine and they had the episode one cans and they mm. you, they were in the display so they were the physical cans you could see there was like one clear row yeah. you know back before vending machines were transparent on the front right right and right they had the pictures on the cans turned so you could see all of the varieties and I would buy <laughs> Pepsi's just because I could have a can with Anakin Skywalker on it. Sorry, I just really enjoyed because my story with those is I remember exactly the vending machines you're talking about. And I remember very vividly in 2002 finding a machine that still had the Star Wars episode ones in there and just going like, how's that not eating through the can? So I went to that same barber, I think until I went to college. Okay. And they were still there. Yeah. They were. Yeah. I don't know if they still are. I don't they think anyone knew how to get them back out. Now. Yeah, but they were still <laughs> in there, those same episode one cans. And that is great. Uh, I, I love that so much. I wish they would do that for another Star Wars movie. Give us those soda um, tie-ins. I think Pepsi and uh, Yum Brands, uh, your KFCs, your Taco Bells, your um, yeah. uh, Pizza Huts and uh, PepsiCo brands, I think they went maybe a little hard on episode one and maybe said, mm, not as much the next yeah, time. I get it. I mean, Spider-Man Far From Home had soda. Um, we get a, a, a Kylo Ren punch? Well, it's kind of surprising because <laughs> other other pieces, like I remember when episode two came out, there was some of that, but it wasn't yeah. nearly as exhaustive. I think it was like the boxes that like the Pepsi cubes came yeah. in, like those had yeah. stuff. The only, the only time we've had a merchandise launch close to what? 99 was yeah it was the first force friday in 2015 and it wasn't yeah it wasn't the same no, no, no but no, no, it no. was on the same energy level yeah in a way and i don't think you the and same... our, i in our lifetime i i as we've gone on we have less of a monoculture like yeah. uh you know especially here in america like we don't have as much like touchstones where everybody's doing the same thing we have so many streaming services and so many interests yeah. and so many hobbies and all these ways on the internet to share that hobby with directly with people who like us in 99 like there was star wars and that was something that every single man child woman dog 
in the entire country mm-hmm. could not ignore. It was mm-hmm. so huge. Like the ending of G- Game of Thrones was like one of the things I can think of in the recent past where like, oh, everybody's doing that. I'm like, I'm not. I know like five people. Pokemon Go. That. Pokemon that's Go. One. That is probably a very close thing. Mm-hmm. And that's because it, it also hits kids, which Game of Thrones doesn't, which... Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're getting super off topic. Yeah. So now that we've talked about some of the <laughs> merchandise we love from episode one, let's bring it back to Lego Max number one obsession. Yeah. Let's just say. We, so we've what do we want to do here? Go through the sets. I think that's probably the easiest way. We've kind all of right. established that ninety nine is this super exciting time where all these things are Star Wars, and I also want to just uh, frame from being a nerd about Lego. Lego at the time had been doing. Fine. It had had a very good 80s and 90s, starting with like the pirate set in 89, really started expanding. Um, and I think it's the first time they started getting collectors as well as kids. Like they realized there was an entire generation of Lego fans who had grown up on Lego who were buying them still as adults. Not like today, <laughs> but uh, a bit of that. So this was Lego's first licensing deal. Mm-hmm. They had never made non personal properties like everything before this was like you know castle and pirates mm-hmm. and they were just starting to deal with like what generic was, well as they were just experimenting with like ones that had stories so like ice planet 2002 had come out yeah. and they came with mini comic books because that's what action figure lines were doing and they were just experimenting with that mm-hmm. and then they said well everyone else is making star wars stuff because it's 1999 <laughs> and they and lucasfilm worked together and built let's be honest a juggernaut that created Every license set. So if you buy bought this year the Friends Central Perk Lego set that was built for people who watched that show when they were younger, mm-hmm. that only exists because Star Wars made A, buying Legos as an adult and collecting them okay, and B, that Lego could work with all of these brands to bring their unique stuff into their this wonderful play form. So you're telling me that Lego DeLorean that I have upstairs... Yeah. Is because of Star Wars? Directly. Wow. Thank you, Star Wars. That's you also bring th- so much joy to my life. That's Thank also you. thanks to uh, Lego Ideas slash Curio, which the Friends <laughs> thing comes from too, which is great. Okay. So let's talk about some 1999 Star Wars Lego sets. Okay. So uh, thank you to Brickset.com. We're using your uh, little checklist here. Yep. Uh, so starting off, we'll just go kind of uh, from smallest to largest. Mm-hmm. Okay, so starting off with set 7101 Lightsaber Duel, retailed for $6, and uh, this is a little set that uh, is Gwygon with his lightsaber, Yep. Maul on his speeder bike. Yeah, that cool crescenty speeder bike he uses uh-huh. in one. The one where he just like he's going towards the cliff in episode one, he just drops. Hops. Yeah. Love that. That's still great. Uh, and what is that? A little moisture evaporator with it, maybe? Um, so like a lot of very small, uh, we'll say budget. These are the kinds of things you would find that are like the stocking stuffer size ones. Or nowadays we have some bagged ones that like you might even find yes. at a checkout line. I have a little this... N1 fighter that was like four or five dollars and from one of those little bags. And I love it. Yeah. And it's that's great. sort of the scale. So there's just a little bit of like scenery. It's just like mm-hmm. a couple antennas and like a stack of tech. Yeah, something else to build. Yeah. So 52 pieces and uh, those two minifigs. Great. Yep. This is one that uh, I owned. I didn't, but I think okay. we're going to be able to say that for pretty much all of them. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get into some more of this as we go. So yeah. 
they Tell me about that set. What do you remember about okay, it? Okay, so the biggest thing I remember about the set was um, just thinking how cool it was because there was a lot of interesting things that came since licensed Lego that a lot of people who didn't play with Lego way back when, because yeah. I'm Mac, Mac, I'm a Lego maniac. <laughs> and so if you understand that marketing jingle, then you'll understand why I was obsessed with Lego mm-hmm. at a very formative age. Um, one of the things that's happened over time is there are more and more items. Lego used to be very militant about not making new pieces. They wanted to produce the least amount of molded pieces possible. So like when a set would come out, which would have something new, like a pirate's hat or a yeah. bandana, it was always very important and still is today that they want to make sure it's multi-purpose. Uh, How many other sure. sets can this go into? Um, so some of the things you see that are very Lego-y that you wouldn't see now, and we can start touching on them is if you look at Qui-Gon Jinn, he's yellow. Yeah, I was going to bring this up, so I'm glad you did. Go ahead. Tell us about that. So um, I think the first maybe three years of Star Wars Legos, all Lego characters like the Simpsons were yellow. Mm-hmm. So they were not really any particular race. They're just Lego people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because even though they were making these slightly like, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn has a beard. They yeah. were painting the faces to have something kind of akin. Or if you look at Darth Maul, he has a black head with the red. Like he looks like Darth Maul. Yeah. Um, this is the first time they really had done that. So they said, well, all of our Lego characters are yellow. So your character is going to be yellow, too. Yeah. Um, why would they? Why would it be otherwise? It's kind of interesting. I I understand why they've changed gears since. I mean, it, you know, it's probably more appealing to children to look like the characters they know. I think it's 50-50 that, but I think the other thing about it is I think the brands wanted it to be more on brand. Because I'm pretty sure that I think it was either – I think it's two years later when Harry Potter I, comes I, out yeah. is when all the characters went there. And another thing I think it all also might see as you go into different properties is well, if you do have like an African-American character or something – should they also be yellow? And like, I think that's when you start differentiating sure. and deciding like, ah, oh, we know what, if we're gonna make a blue guy and a green guy and a red guy, um, maybe we should match whatever the brand 2% is. 2% more screen accurate. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. that little bit extra step. And I mean, they've added more details since, right? But hey, that's not what we're here to talk about today. Well, and just we're to, here to talk about 99. And just to say this, the one thing about this that's interesting is if you look at the set, there is only one new thing in this entire set. Oh, what's that? The only brick that's actually new in this set. Oh, take that back. I'm sorry. There are two. There are two new bricks in this set. One is the lightsaber hilt, which got uh... used a lot of places. And thanks to episode one, always has been reversible. You could put the stick, the little glow stick, which mm-hmm. they had had those before. You can stick that on either end. Or in the case of Darth Maul, both. Genius. And as far as I know, to this day, that's the same basic mold. Is oh. that same lightsaber hilt. The second piece that's also in here is, I just realized, is Quagungeon's hair. That's, that was unique. That would have been a new sculpt. Because he's got these like... It's not really mud and chops, but he kind of has like where his hair bobs down mm-hmm. next to his neck. Yes. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that didn't exist before. But like um, if you look, you've got your standard like it's uh, was like the space chair is what the basis of Darth Maul, Maul's like speeder bike is. Then he's got sort of the diagnostic console that leads up to the handlebars. Like all of those are based on just pieces that already exist. And when you look back at these sets, that's like one of the weirdest things is how 
kind of crude and looks like, oh, yeah, a really smart, like, 12-year-old built this with the Legos he had. Yes. Um, whereas now, I mean, you look at the Ultimate Collector Series Millennium Falcon and, like, there's more engineering in that than, like, bridges I cross every day. <laughs> so it's just a different time. Yeah, no, it is. It's very, we'll do an episode on that one day, the progression of the design. Yeah. Cause this is just focusing. I mean, we have to talk about where it goes, but this yeah. is mostly just focusing on what, what 99 felt like. Yes. And maybe just comparing and contrast. What you see today yeah. is not that. Some of you might not have been around then. Like me, maybe you weren't collecting star Wars sure. Legos. Maybe you were collecting Darth Maul figures. Who knows? Um, which kind of leads us to the next one, which was nice, was there wasn't just 99 stuff, which looking back is kind of weird that there wasn't any. Because well, we had just come off, hot off the heels of the special edition. Mm -hmm. It was still very much in the zeitgeist. Uh, people were buying it on VHS. Power of the Force 2 line was going strong. Yep. We were still getting, in fact, probably some of the best Power of the Force 2 figures before moving into the Episode 1 line. So, obviously, those characters have always well, been strong, but were little... really strong, too. You're, you're absolutely right on all those points. I would say, anecdotally, one thing that was a little bit weird was the OT was sort of, I don't want to say, like, passe, but there was definitely this passing the torch moment of after Episode 1, the OT will be part of Star Wars. It will not be the center of the universe. Yeah, yeah. And that was already happening because even by that point in 98, a year earlier, because, I mean, the special editions would have all been out by March of 98, because I yeah. think they came out May 97, and then Empire, I think might have been before 97 was out, and I know Return was like that spring of 98. Mm, I don't know offhand. But by, like, the end of 98, we, we were pretty full bore into, like, Shadows of the Empire mm -hmm. was what the, you know, what we were making with like action figures and stuff like that. And the books had really taken on a life of their own and were their own universe. So like there was a hunger for new Star Wars until episode one, where a lot of people just went, I want the old Star Wars as well. I don't want this new crap. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about set yeah. 7110, the land speeder from episode four, A New Hope. So this set was 49 pieces, came with a Luke and an Obi-Wan minifig and was also $6. Yeah. And the thing you see about this did not own the set um, is again, me either back to everything here is the same. The only thing that's changing, but most, most of these sets is like some of the colors and some of the ways the faces are painted. But if you really look closely, Luke has a normal everyday, nothing different about it. Emmett from the Lego movie, just straight Lego yep. man face. Yep. And he's got a blonde part of the male, like basic male hair. Mm -hmm. um, and and Obi-Wan has the same thing, except he's got a little bit of a beard painted on. And then like the engines of the sand speeder, those are from uh, the old jet planes from like the 80s. The windshield on it isn't even remotely curved like we think of in the Star Wars. It's just square because yeah. that's the windshield they had. That's what they had to work with. So let me ask you a question, Mac. Maybe you know. Yeah. In these images... Mm -hmm. There's a Star Wars Lego logo. So, yep. you know, you have the Lego system logo. At the time, they were still putting the system on the package. Yeah, I did it for a right. long time. Because what you think of as Lego is Lego system. Yes. There was also Technic, yes. which was all the axles and rods, which yeah. are now just part of system. Mm -hmm. And then you also had Duplo, mm -hmm. were mm -hmm. the, big, the big three at the time. So, But then over on the other side of the packaging, there's a Star Wars logo. Yep. And there are two different ones. And do you happen to know why? Because I don't. As far as I know, it was mostly just branding for the fact of was this classic trilogy Star Wars or was this episode one Star Wars? Because the classic trilogy has like Luke and 
Vader both holding their lightsabers in front and then flanking them as characters like Han and Leia and C-3PO and stuff. Whereas if you look at the episode one, it's kind of got like Anakin and then he's flanked by like Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan yes, and then Darth Maul on one side. 100%. 100%. I guess I should have zoomed in, huh? Oh, you're okay. No, no. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. But the reason it's had a branding so strong like that for so long is because they used that at the time to, I think, indicate which movie franchise you were getting. That's 100% what it is. And that is pretty cool. Yeah. All what, right. Anything so, else about the land speeder? No, I, I think, like I said, when you look at it, you can kind of see like, oh, well, I, I probably have the Legos to cobble that together if you were collecting yeah. Legos at the time, uh, which is, again, very different from now. There's not as much internal engineering and as much like striving for lack of a better term, movie accuracy. Did you build any Star Wars things out of your Legos before you had these? I probably had at least like 500, 600 attempts at building like uh, R2 or X-Wings before yeah. X-Wings. Like <laughs> uh, that, I, I was very much Benny from the Leggy movie. Most of what I built was starships. Like I, I was like always kind of trying to figure out different ways of building a cockpit with a closing lid, which there were some sets that had those, but it never seemed like I could build a body that fit that cockpit or canopy unless it was just the original set. <laughs> so, and, and I was very much one of those kids of like, I didn't keep my Legos together. I looked at them like a week later going, those are cool. I could build with something else and tore them back apart. So okay. it was never one to keep like a set the way it was. And I think that's what I didn't like about them. I didn't have an imagination for that sort of thing. You know, my imagination okay. was with my action figures, right? Telling stories. Creating and... a story and, you know, bringing these characters, you know, how can this X-Men, how can Wolverine fight my Darth Vader figure, you know? And then right. imagining in my head that he's got these lightsaber claws so he can stand up to Vader. You know, that's the kind of thing I was playing with. My sure. neighbors who were one year older than me and one year younger, you know, uh, brothers on the other Flanking side. You. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kind of odd. Um, who I was really close with, uh, were the opposite. You know, they played with Legos nonstop and they were always building things and we'd be over there playing together and they'd be coming up with these designs and I'm like, I stacked them on top of each other. Uh, so this is fun, huh? Uh, and I have one I memory of a Lego set before that and I was even younger, probably about six or so because it was before we moved to the house I mostly grew up in. Sitting on my mom's bed, I had this, it's like an underwater submarine Lego set that had like these arms that came out of the side. Oh, okay. Uh, and I couldn't do it. Like I couldn't figure out, I couldn't follow the instruction. And that was just oh. kind of the end of Lego for me for a really long time until you. <laughs> I would say, I would say until you built something from Ikea, which uses the same, same style <laughs> instructions. Uh, I'd rather build Lego any day. Okay. Me too. <laughs> um, but, uh, for me, Lego is such an important part of me because, again, really, in the early 80s, early 90s, there was a series of commercials that were all about blank, blank, he's a Lego maniac. And, and one of the names they used for rhyming was Mac is a Lego maniac. Yeah. And so I remember in 89, I was, I don't even know how young, very tiny, and we went to the local mall um, and they had an exhibit like on the floor of the mall, like in between the stores in the, like, um, what would you call that? The... Um, the um, walkways. Um, sure. They had Lego sculptures. Mm -hmm. And this is back when Lego sculptures were pretty darn rare. So this was like a traveling show. This was, it's stop in Pittsburgh. It wasn't, oh, this is something at the mall. Like this was a art gallery that had made a tour That's to cool. the mall. 
And I remember seeing like the Eiffel Tower and like the um, Statue of Liberty all built out of these bricks and just going like, these are amazing. And I inherited some from my brother and I'd already like seen them. So I knew like those little things I had made that. And then my parents bought me um, Pirate because Pirate had just launched that year and bought me like two sets of Pirate. And I remember going home and going, this is the best toy ever. I make a toy, then I take it apart and then I make a new toy. I can make another toy. Yeah. I make another toy. And so, like, it was one of those things growing up. You're talking about, like, you know, oh, you you know, you had yeah. this this own impression. Like, to me, like, my impression of, like, a great example yeah. of this was I never understood the kids who ever touched uh, Playmobil. Because I'm like, hey, those are, like, Legos, but lame because you can't do anything with them. They're just whatever they were. <laughs> it's so funny you mentioned that. I had this uh, plastic tower with five drawers. Okay. And it was filled with Playmobil. Oh, okay. It was. It was. That's and, what connected with you yeah. then. No, it was. It was a younger age. It was probably sure, three sure. or four that I started. I don't. You know. I don't. Well, remember. again, that's what we're talking about when I'm getting like the pirate set. Yeah, like that formative. But yeah. Yeah, and uh, I remember we had this hobby store in the little town I grew up, and it, they had like model trains, and they had, um, you know, all this little crafting stuff, and then they yep. also sold Playmobil, and we'd go in there from time to time because it was right next to the used bookstore that my mom loved to go to. Oh, sure. And we would look at these Playmobil sets and anytime a new one would come out, I'd get so excited if I got to take it home. Uh, uh, yeah, and it totally. just became this thing. And even until probably I was about seven or eight, uh, that was a big thing that I played with for a long time. That's just great. because by that point I had so many pieces. So maybe yeah, that yeah. is why I never got into well, Lego. And then, that's, then that's what you're saying. It's like you liked the pre-made toy and then you told these stories. Like yeah. that's what you enjoyed. For me, it was the fact of like, from my perspective, I have an action figure and then I can take his pants off, put them on there. And now I have a different action figure yeah. like that really engaged me. Very um, cool. So we're going to go on to the next one that I have <laughs> memories of building, which is uh, set one seven one one one, which is the droid starfighter, which now we would call a vulture droid. But that's not what we called it in the run up to episode one. Uh, Sixty two pieces and six dollars. Uh, boy, six dollars. You could get a lot of Lego for six bucks a piece. Yeah. And, and I mean, I mean, in inflation and stuff, that's about right where like the 15 to 20 dollar sets, mm -hmm. I guess, would probably live. And what's now. funny now is those sets are normally like 150 to 200 pieces. Oh, yeah. Piece counts have gone super. It's up. kind of interesting when you look at it. They're just much blockier. And like you said, much less detailed. And so you built this one, huh? Yeah. And the nice thing about this one that was cool was uh, play factor. Um, <laughs> I remember that. Lego had been doing it for a little bit, but it was still pretty rare to get a piece that already had printed on it, like its texture. You're still in the land of stickers. Mm -hmm. um, so the head of this thing, as well as the side panels, like between the wings, mm -hmm. were all uh, pre-decal, like, like screen printed on. Yeah. And then again, like I said, this, the level of sophistication of these was starting to go up a lot from what they had done previously. Yeah. And just thinking it was kind of cool. And the nice thing about this set was... You could take the wings off and then reconfigure them so they were open for, like, attack. Or you could click them down and they'd be real tight like they were aerodynamic. And you could take a few pieces apart, put a few pieces together, and get it in the walking mode, which was kind of clumsy. But it could do it. And the head would so basically cool. click onto another part and look that way. And the fun thing about it to me is, like, it didn't transform or anything. You had to transform it. <laughs> um, but it was still... I guess kind of where Lego was going, which was there was something inherently if you built it and never wanted to take it apart as a to make in other Lego things, it in of itself 
could play as an action figure because it had these three configurations, yeah. which is neat. That is that is really cool. I didn't know that, and you wouldn't get that just from looking at a picture on the box. No. Uh, so I love it. I'm gonna have to go buy that. All right, now we're now we're gonna spend a little more money. We're gonna add four bucks to oh, the price. Oh, we're getting pricey now. This is getting into birthday territory. So <laughs> we've got set seven one two one the Naboo Swamp. So this is an interesting one. This is our first uh, Jar Jar set. So we have a Jar Jar minifig, another Gwygon minifig. I'm sure the same one from that first set, and uh, we have two battle droids on top of Staps. Now, yep. if you don't remember, these are basically the flying segways of the battle droid <laughs> army. They're basically Battle platforms. Segues. Yeah, they're basically platforms that speed through the air and have a laser cannon on the top. And uh, this is one of the f- this is the first action figure toy that was released for episode yep. one. So if this had been ninety nine and you had asked me to pick out a toy and I couldn't go with one of the big sets, this is probably the one I would have chosen. I say I did not own this one, and I think the reason was because I already owned the step. <laughs> At this point, I would have had one too. So let's see, we had eighty two pieces on this one. Four minifigs and a price mm-hmm. of $10. Yep. And uh, another neat thing about this is, again, this is where we start seeing where the licensing was going to go because you've got one, two, three, four, five new pieces in this set. You've got Qui-Gon's hair again. Yeah. You've got Jar Jar's head, <laughs> which is a molded Jar Jar Binks head. Yep. You have um, the two um, battle droids who were all new pieces. They had their head. They had this core torso. They had the two arms, which were funny how many places those show up in Lego. Um, and then they also had their legs. So that's okay. That That's six pieces because they're four pieces together. Um, and then you have them on the steps and the steps are kind of cool because they're kind of a thing of what was going to come. They're a bunch of little tiny pieces that make something looks kind of close. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You're right. It is a little bit, uh, shall we say, more detailed. More yeah. screen accurate uh, and small. You know, this this one has a lot of play factor. You're getting four figures. Yep. Which is nice. Okay. Very cool. How about we go back to the original trilogy next? Okay. Let's go to Return of the Jedi set 7128 speeder bikes. Mm-hmm. And this set getting larger still 93 pieces, mm-hmm. three different minifigures. And once again, $10. Now, this is an interesting one because you get two speeder bikes. What a bargain. Two scout troopers mm-hmm. and the best lightsaber of all time attached to Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker. Yep. Weird that so far we've only seen green hero lightsabers. We haven't Correct. seen any blue lightsaber figures yet. I'm sure. And if there is some in this set, but I, I think it's only Obi-Wan. I, Interesting, sure. right? Interesting. So this one looks great. Yep. This looks one uh, that you would see today. Yeah, right. this is pretty close because, again, we're going down to more spindly parts, which is kind of recognizable as new stuff because the more spindly it is, the more, like, detail you can get out yeah, of that scale. Totally. But there's still things that I remember when I first saw this set because my uh, best friend at the time, Zach, had it. Um, I remember thinking I, – because I traded him for one of his scout troopers, <laughs> which nice. I only think I got because he had two. And I thought it was so cool because they were just uh, – the helmet was hollowed out where the eyes are. And then the head was just black, so it could turn its head, and it would always have the visor would always be wherever you want it to be. That's smart. Which was really cool. I remember that um, 
I had one of them from one of my brother's old sets, but the triangular pieces that are like the control vanes at the front of the uh, speeder bike, mm-hmm. those were yield signs for like city sets. Oh, nice. Uh, and then you can see Luke back there. Luke was interesting for two reasons because one, he, well, well, the one thing I was going to say is he's on a little piece of uh tree and stuff. Cause that's there. That way you can smash the uh, speeder bike into a tree <laughs> play factor. But it was also something that I don't know if Lego ever had one before. Not that it was like some sort of super duper fancy thing, but at least in my memory, Luke was also one of the first asymmetrical figures because mm. he had one black gloved hand and one non black gloved hand. You know, Lego, you really pay attention to the small stuff and we appreciate it very much. So even in 99 next up, we have set seven, one, three, zero, the snow speeder. Now we're really cooking. 215 pieces, mm-hmm. three minifigs, and $20. So let's see. We have a snow speeder, and inside of that snow speeder, I'm guessing we have two minifigs, a Luke and I'm pretty probably sure it's Luke and Dak. Unnamed Red Bull pilot being well, Dak. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get a point there. And then we pro- and then we have a, a gunner and a little Hoth turret. Mm-hmm. So a little rebel trooper and a little turret for him to stand behind. And what you see here is um, another thing that's kind of interesting is uh, they hadn't gone to making Star Wars its own blasters. So you have the old like what was originally a um, they originally sold it for city set to be a camcorder because you'd put a little brick on the side that had like a reel to reel tape like the tape player. But you could take it out. So it was a VHS you could pass around. Um, But it's got like basically this body with a scope. And if you flipped it around like they have it here, uh, now it's a laser gun. Again, repurpose and everything. was against making guns for a long time, right? They still don't make real world. They will weapons, not make right? real world firearms. Yeah. No. Um, or anything that's like really, really close. Okay. So the closest they've ever got, the only ones I can think of that they have is anything that's like Civil War or earlier. Because they had like their Egyptian set and a Civil War sets in like the mid to 99, mid 90s, maybe late 90s. And they had a like revolver like a like cowboy revolver okay okay and a rifle but the rifle was the same rifle from pirates so they've had them but they don't they're the kinds of stuff you see in movies from the early part of the 20th century they're not you're never going to see a glock you're never going to see a um an uzi you're never going to see an ak-47 or an m16 from lego and there are lots of third-party companies that make those, there right? There are tons of companies Crazy, that do that. Crazy, right? Like this whole market for it. Well, adult collecting is such a huge part of Lego's story now. Yeah. Um, and I love the company has been able to do that and cater that audience while not losing. They still make great sets for kids. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have an incredible piece set 7131 Anakin's Pod Racer. 136 pieces. Three minifigures and $15 retail. She's a beaut. She is. And we'll talk a little bit here in a minute about her resurgence later on. Yeah, I'll talk about my experiences with this. But the things you see here are you got Anakin Pod Racer, and it's even got like basically the energy that's linking the two pods together. And they're attached to a piece that basically holds it together so you can hold it. And the pods and the the actual uh, controls are all connected together, but you can hold it as one piece and swish it around and stuff because there's a rigid mm-hmm, center mm-hmm. to them. This also came with a pit droid, which the pit droid would collapse back down. So not maybe as tightly as in the movie, but it could kind of fold up. 
Should have been a kitster. Oh, that would have been. But no, we've got Padme next to some flags. That's that's what we get in this set. I mean, Padme next to flags is okay. All right. So I'm going to mention one thing that's really cool about this set, as I have apparently fun facts for everything. Um, Anakin was kind of special at the time because they had never made a child Lego. Like they had people that were child, but they were just the same size as everybody else in Lego because how could you make a Lego person different? This is, as far as I remember, Anakin's the first set where he has these shortened legs. So he literally stands smaller than everybody else in the line. And that's a common feature now, but at the time it was kind of like a, holy crap, he's short. This is weird. (laughs) Okay, I didn't know that. And I mean, if he's sitting in your pod all the time, you wouldn't know, right? No, (laughs) that's true. I love it. Okay, Um, so next up. Anything well? Anything else about the pod racer, Mac? Not, not, not at, yet. N- not at this time. Okay. Next up, set seven one four zero, the X wing fighter, really large now, two hundred sixty six pieces, thirty dollars, and four minifigures. I hope you're ready to tell me what they are. I have a guess. I'm guessing Luke Skywalker is one of them. So you got Luke Skywalker. So you got Luke Skywalker. You've got R two D two, who slots into the X wing just like you'd expect. Yep. You got Biggs Dark Lighter. Ah, okay. And then you've got basically, it's like uh, essentially just a um, technician. Yeah. Because you got that little weird cart that they're driving yeah, around. you see it kind of pass through a scene when yeah, they're going through the hangar like on It seems like the Yavin. kind of like personnel cruiser. Like you see some of the pilots get off of them to get to their ships. It's basically the golf cart of uh, yeah. the Yavin base. Yeah, you're going to miss your flight. You got to get to your gate. We'll get you there on time. So you basically had that. And I think this set looks really good for how like weird they had to cobble together some of the stuff that they had. Now we'd have a lot more custom pieces to make this work. Yeah. But as far as I remember, the only custom piece was the painted uh, canopy there is like the only thing that wasn't around before this. It looks good. It just looks slightly out of proportion, I would say. Yeah. And that's because I think you were just, they were definitely, and if you look at the wings, they're probably a little more open than mm-hmm. you think, but it was like, they were just doing what they could to make this idea work in Lego. They weren't trying to like hone it to like something that would be approved by brand, you know, uh, controllers or anything. They just made a really cool looking X-Wing. Okay. Let's talk about uh, my favorite ship in all of Star Wars. Sure. Well, sorry. My favorite dog fighter. 7141, the Naboo fighter. 179 pieces, four minifigs, $20 retail. So if you don't know... This is that beautiful yellow starship from Naboo that uh, the Naboo Defense Force flies against the droid Confederacy ships. Yep. So this thing is great because it's this, you know, we've had gray and then we've had dark gray yep. and we've had light gray and we've had maybe at this point uh, some white mm-hmm. ships, right? But that's about it. You know, a, a few yeah. splashes of color here, here and there, but not a lot. This was a bright vibrant eye-catching ship with a beautiful design and here we have a lego set to match comes with a little anakin pilot Mm -hmm. a little r2 that goes in the back and a couple of battle droids on the ground as well yeah so like i said this was the first set of this all these i built and i was blown away because again anakin's a little tiny yeah (laughs) then you have unique r2d2 and the fact that he's like got the swingable legs and the head you could pop it off and reposition it like it's turning And he socketed into it just like an X-Wing would. So, of course, I was like, this is the X-Wing of episode one, which it kind of is. Um, 100% is. Then you had the battle droids, and they came with blasters this time Mm -hmm. because they didn't have staps, which are the megaphone piece with these little bright orange cones (laughs) on them. Okay. Um, Megaphones 
also commonly used as a stand-in for ray guns. Sure. And in the background, you can see that there's this little, like, I don't know, like, looks like a ramp or something. To this day, I have no idea what it was. It's just a collection of bricks on wheels that tilted up and down. I don't know if it was, like, a support cart or maybe a loading. It doesn't matter. It's just, it was definitely some just really weird, random extra bricks. Something else to play with. Yep. And then you can also see, it's kind of tough in the screenshot, but uh, right in the front, you have these two little green um, cones sticking out. Mm -hmm. That was representing the little slots in the N1 where it fires its lasers. Awesome. Uh, The only thing that's kind of weird about this, especially if you look at like more modern versions, because I think they've made this set like four or five times at this point, is it's gray on the front because there were no metallic silver Legos to note in 99. So they use the best next best color. Gray. This is one I'm definitely going to have to pick up. I would really, really tell you, I think it was either 2005 or I think maybe a 2013 set redid this and they chromed the front. And it looks, looks really good. All right. All right. Hold on. Set another reminder. <laughs> okay. Next up, we have set 7150 going back to the OT again. TIE Fighter and Y-Wing. 409 pieces, three minifigs, $50. So now we're talking, say, we're, this is Christmas. This is the big Carillion ones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my best friend Chris had this set. Um, he wanted it for the X, for the TIE Fighter. And I wanted it for the Y-Wing. Um, so I don't think we ended up traded, actually. But usually when I was at his house, I would pick up the Y-Wing, and he would pick up the TIE Fighter and mm-hmm, blow up my ship mm-hmm. a lot because he owned them both. So that's <laughs> how rules go. That is how they go. Um, uh, TIE Advance, so Darth Vader's TIE Fighter. Yep, yep. Uh, a Y-Wing that I think looks pretty good. The Y-Wing's boxy design helps it translate to Lego a little bit better than some. Uh, the TIE Fighter suffers a little bit because, like, the central core of the TIE Fighter works pretty well. And then the wings are not exactly bent the way you'd want and a little thicker so they're structurally sound. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here we have a Y-Wing pilot, a droid, uh, an R-Series droid in the Y-Wing, and a Darth Vader minifig. Which is, um, again, pretty awesome. Now, the thing I don't remember about this time is I want to say that Darth Vader... When you pop the helmet off, I think at this point was just a black mold. I think it was just a placeholder head. They would eventually put in almost every Darth Vader that, you know, pruny, yeah, pruny old Vader is underneath there for yeah. funsies. Yeah. Um, but I just remember thinking that this was just so cool because again, I played X Wing the game and I was like, I know what a Y Wing is. They're actually cool. Yeah. Uh, I also did not have this set like every other set we've talked about so yeah. far. But this would have made me very happy. Oh, yeah. This would have been one to pick up. And it's so smart for play because you get a good guy and a bad guy. You can do stuff with that. Absolutely. Uh, I like that. I wish they'd do more of that now, but they're just too expensive. Um, They do. Uh, there's a whole line that are for kids, like for kids, like collectors would never want to own them because they're like these today. Boxy, blocky, much simpler to mm-hmm. build <laughs> Um, excuse me. And um, it's not surprising to me that collectors don't want that because they want these artifacts they keep at their desk or on their bookshelf or whatever. Yeah. Kids don't care. So no. kids are getting things where it's like it's an ATST and a, and a snow speeder and they're attacking each other and they're not even remotely to the right scale to each other, <laughs> let alone the minifigures. Like yeah. it's okay. 
Okay, next up, set 7151, Sith Infiltrator, so Darth Maul's ship. Yep. Uh, also comes with a Darth Maul minifig and the little speeder bike as well. $30, 244 pieces. Really affordable. Yep. Really, really, I mean, you know, comparatively, uh, really nice ship for that price. And the reason you can see that is because when you look at it, you can see, like, kind of the blockiness of it. Like, there's just a bunch of flat bricks yeah. here and... Let's just put it this way. This would not pass licensing at this point because it vaguely looks like the right shape. Yeah, it's got the outline. At yeah, best. And, and and that's just because this is what we did with Legos at the time. We weren't making them to the sophistication. Mm-hmm. And other things like, for instance, floating behind Darth Maul is just three black Lego heads with a lever stuck to the top. And they're like, that's the probe droids. <laughs> like you have to use their imagination. Those could have been a cast iron bomb as much as they were like probe droids. Yeah. Your imagination was required. So our second Darth Maul mm-hmm. in the collection, still no Obi-Wan. Essentially, oddly enough, basically the exact same thing. Yeah. That's another thing I don't think you'd see as much today is like the same exact thing in multiple sets in a release. Mm, Um, Good point. Because we've already seen, like, you know, basically we've seen Darth Maul twice, and we've seen Mm -hmm. Anakin and his pod race. We'll see that twice. Mm -hmm. It's the exact same thing in two different sets. Yeah. Which is weird. It is. Okay, now set 7161, the Gungan sub. This is the one that I find the most interesting. You know what I like about this? Uh, Mm. So this was 1999. In about 2011... I found this set on a Walmart clearance shelf. Wow. I should have bought it. Yeah, you should have. Should have bought it. <laughs> um, probably would have been worth a few uh, schmeckles today. But here we have 379 pieces, three minifigs. Uh, I'm guessing without even zooming in on the picture that it's Gwygon, Obi-Wan, and Jar Jar. Yeah. That, yep. And a $50 retail price. Now, this one I find very interesting because it's got those tendrils coming off the back. Yep. Are those string? Um, so if I had to guess, I didn't own this set, but my guess is that they were, um, I don't know. They could be string, but I doubt it because most of the strings that were in Lego were always tied off to something like, um, if you had a drawbridge or if you had something like that. So my guess is this is the same sort of loose material that made up probably the whips. They had vines and whips that they would use in medieval sets. Looking closer, it looks like they're those plastic rods that you could kind of bend. Yep. Yeah. So is that what you're oh, talking yeah, about? Oh, yeah, yeah. From te- No, from Technic is probably what those are. Okay. Either that or they're just twisted on each other and mounted to that brick that holds them at the back, and they're just sort of being bent. I don't know. I like it. Uh, and then you can see that all connects up to what is uh, looks like space shuttle cargo bay pieces that are folded over each other to make the engine. Another thing that's interesting interesting about this set is in the movie, all three characters are in a cockpit together. Yeah. Here they have three separate cockpits. Right, which for play value makes sense because, uh, you know, if you made the cockpit that fit all three of them, it wouldn't be much fun to play with or be a way more expensive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it also comes with a manta ray. Everything you could ever want. And I love the front of it is just the old-timey anchor. <laughs> Again, because we weren't going to make specialty pieces for this. All right, Mac, let's talk about the big boy. The piece de resistance. The one that uh, now apparently is the one I'm going to somehow one day own. I'm sure it's astronomically priced now. I was going to say it was $90 in 1999 money. Yeah. And now you add uh, inflation and collection on top of that. So set 7171, Moss Espa Pod Race. Not only was it just shy of 900 pieces, 896. 
Yep. Not only did it cost $90 and come with 10 minifigs, but it came with three Mac, three, three pods. Not only did you have Anakin's pod, you had Sebulba and Mac. Do you want to take a guess at who the third pod was? I don't have to guess. I lived it. It's Gascano. <laughs> okay. Mars Guo was robbed. This should have uh, been Mars Guo, and if not, maybe Dudbolt. But here, that okay, we will talk about podcasts eventually because I would say I want Mahonic in here. But anyway, the point of the matter is you get the two signature pods of the pod race. You yes. get Anakin, identical to the previous set, except included in this one. Yep. Um, and then you get the split axe, which I remember thinking that, because I kept this together for a long time, this set did not survive me wanting to rip it apart. Oh, man. Um, I think I kept Anakin's together for a while, but Sebulba, there was a couple of structural things where it would break every once in a while, and I eventually okay. just decided just to dismantle it. But I remember thinking, it was huge. Like, I don't think this picture does it justice. Of, it was easily, like, twice as large, all dimensions yeah. to Anakin's. And that's because to make that split X, the, the, you have these really thick, like, the X is made of these two wings mm -hmm. and they're just really, really thick because the other thing is they had all the little bits and bobs you'd want them to have. So they had little saws that would come out of them. Oh, that's so cool. The one had the vent that opened so you could put flames there because he's like shunting the yeah, vents and burning yeah. people. Um, and then his pod itself had little buzz saws on the actual driving piece. Whoa. And you got Sebulba, who unfortunately was like kind of a brick Huh. He didn't have any like moving parts. He just sort of sat in there or okay. you can remove him out. Uh, Gascano was fun because Gascano was basically them taking what they were just doing, which is very common in a lot of Lego sets now, but what they were doing with the battle droids. Mm -hmm. like you have this torso and you're clicking things onto it. So that's how he got his four arms. Yeah. Um, and his sort of longer neck and everything oh, like that. Uh, you also get the, the the crowd kind of cheering. There's a little few pieces that make sort yeah, of a... Ten minifigures for yeah. a little diorama. You have R2, you have Jar Jar, you yep. have Padme, Gwygon, uh, three pit droids, and some accoutrement for them. Some little stands for them with little umbrellas and flags and basically recreating the stadium atmosphere. Yeah, because the biggest thing is you kind of set it up and it was like a pit. It was like a pit crew kind of yeah. area is what you would do that for. Um, and it's kind of funny looking at like when they started remaking these things, it's kind of funny when you look at it back on it and like go, oh yeah, these are really blocky. Cause this is another set that is like three versions of it over the last 20 years. You know, what's interesting. Wait, have they remade Gascano? Uh, not Gascano, uh, but they've made definitely the split X and yeah. Anakin. I, Anakin's the one I'm thinking it's done, been done three times. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that in one quick second. Yeah. So what's interesting here is this set was $90. Yep. Anakin's pot on its own was 15. Yep. So if you're a parent looking at that, are you getting $75 worth of value for um, eight more minifigures? Sort of. I mean, if you count Sebulba. Yeah. Uh, and two more pods? Um, I would say yes if you are able to understand what you can't see in this picture. And hopefully you at the Toys R Us where they have the glass box that has mm -hmm. them assembled mm -hmm. of again how significantly larger gascano and yes Sabalbos they are both are. bigger and they're both bigger in the movie too i mean it fits yeah it yeah they're, i mean they're not to scale but like they're huge and his little pod race feels like a 15 dollars lego set compared to them i think it's great i think it's so wonderful to see such variety yep very imaginative um and diverse 
You know, it, it's oh, it's. You know what? I just realized. You know, what was in that bongo. It was these flexible tubes from Technica's. That's what connects the pods to the pod racer, like to the central ah. cockpit. Is they have these two lead lines, and those are definitely the little tubing that just clicks into little uh, claw grabs. Okay, that makes sense. I didn't know that. So we're not going to go any, well, not no, no. much farther than so, 1999. But there is one more thing I want to point out. Yeah. Next year, in 2000, we still got a few episode one sets, but we got our first collector series. Yeah. Lego. Okay. And it only took a year. It yep. was a tie interceptor, 703 pieces, $100. Yep. Oh, my gosh. If only collector series were only $100. Oh, my gosh. I would own the Tan T4 for 100 Yeah. I was going to say, it's, it doesn't cost that much anymore, but they're also way more oh sophisticated. God, so much more. Uh, I just think that's crazy that it only took one year, one product cycle. To get a collector series. And it must have been in development before those 99 sets were out, right? Absolutely. Because one thing that uh, has to be noted is like, it's a kind of joke in Star Wars of like, hey, Lego's going to leak whatever's going on in the movies. And the reason is because the lead time on Legos is like three years. Yeah. Like when a set goes from being blueprinted and deciding what they're going to move on, that's like three years ahead. So out of all the toy industry, and they have a reputation for this is why people work with them is... They usually like they knew about what was going on in Rise of Skywalker before The Last Jedi was done. They were looking at concept art and trying to help pick sets of what was going to be featured in that probably before the last movie was even done. That's really cool. Early in. Um, And the other thing I want to say is like, again, all this stuff has gotten so much more sophisticated. I'm looking at the the Moss Eisley's and I just think or Moss Espa Speed. And just laughing to the fact of like the binders that hold the two uh, engines together yeah. are orangey red because that's a color they could make semi-transparent. They're clacked onto these tan bricks, which on this box art where you have this fake desert underneath them looks really interesting. When you're at home with your green carpet, <laughs> the illusion's <laughs> a little broken. Nowadays, they make them with all like transparent pieces to hold it together. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it just looks like air is connecting it. And they actually have these now purpley electricy little things that kind of look like the manic energy of those binders. And I just think it's really cool because this year I'm not we're not going to go through the whole set because we've, we've already spent we've indulged me for too much on this uh, this segment already. That's OK, Mac. I know you needed it. Um, but the thing that's really fun is Lego currently has 20th anniversary sets out celebrating it. And they remade like three of these sets. There's a Y-Wing. There's the snow speeder. There is the pod racing scene. I bought the pod racer. Yeah. Because you know how much I love pod racing. Yeah. And when I had a chance to buy this one, especially at $29.99, that's my sweet spot for most Lego sets. It's 30. Yeah. I've only ever bought one large Lego set, and that was the uh, Star Destroyer from The Last Jedi. Right. And I think that was maybe 150 and I've never spent over 100 again since on Lego. Um, Not saying I won't one day possibly uh but you know that was normally i stick with these small sets i probably spent about maybe 200 dollars ish a year on lego related stuff um and it's usually i gotta be no way you've got to spend more than that not really because i usually buy like one or two sets a year okay so like this year i bought i splurged and mario a little bit about that this year but that's because i bought like the um the Saturn V rocket yeah. and the lunar lander set they brought yeah. out for the moon landing. Yeah. And then I bought the A-Wing mm-hmm. uh, on Force Front and mm-hmm. 
I mean, all told, all all the stuff I bought like this summer because now mm-hmm. we because now we have a Lego store in my area, which is the most <laughs> dangerous thing to open in this area by yeah. far to me. Um, cause I used to have to order from the catalog. So everything was very deliberate when I bought it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I love Legos. The problem I have with Legos is what do you do with them afterwards? Um, there's some really great charities. Actually Legos partnered with one to be direct now, um, which basically take your, your Legos and they donate them to community centers and, uh, United ways and hot children's hospitals and let kids go nuts with those Legos. That's really cool. Which is great for me because the problem I have with Legos is I build something, I love it, I keep it on a shelf for maybe three or four years, and they go, yeah, this doesn't need to be here anymore. <laughs> and then I usually donate it or um, store it. So, Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Well, that's so, very nice of All you. right, now that I've gushed about the Lego group as much as I could possibly think to do. If you didn't know, Mac does like Legos. He does. Mm-hmm. He, he likes them a lot. And mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is, and I will say, like when the Lego movie came out and it sort of got lego's message of how to be honest anti-commercialism they are like they want kids to learn engineering and play with these things they want them to be action figures they want them to be engineering toys they want that like the collector's market at adults would be what other companies would have bent that company towards if they were like oh well that's where all the money is is selling these millennium falcons and stuff and Lego's like mm-hmm. but but we're for kids we want kids to enjoy our products and because they're a privately held company, they step over what's best for their bottom line for their values all the time, which is a really respectable thing, especially in 2019. <laughs> um, so it's really great to see. I, I think it's awesome. And again, when we went to uh, celebration, or I should say I am referring to someone who's not here. Um, but when I went to celebration, they literally had these dioramas at their booth of here's what it was in 99. And let's make that look like garbage because here's our 2019 version of it. Mm-hmm. And you're just going like, oh, my God, that's so much better. And it's about the same price. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's wild yeah. how much yeah. it's all improved and how much. And it's again, great that Lego has been able to hold the license for so long. Well, and I think they'll hold it forever because I think the partnership is so strong because it's kind of funny now. Yeah. Disney, who sort of inherited that partnership from Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm has built better ties. And now there's a lot of Disney stuff coming out through Lego where I think Disney was like, Oh, we don't really want to do that. And then I think they got to see firsthand how great Lego is as a brand partner that you're starting to see frozen sets that came frozen two sets that come out for Magic Kingdom castle is an incredible set. If you haven't seen that, Uh, I've never really been tempted to buy a non star Wars set other than my DeLorean. Um, but they've been putting out so many things. I mean, that Jurassic Park set that was the Tyrannosaur yep. and the gate. There's some incredible stuff coming in out of the Wally. Uh, some things that as a non Lego super fan like you, yeah. I'm still drawn towards. It's it's a fantastic company. And I'm glad they're allowed to do what they do. Mac, thank you for teaching me about Lego Star Wars. Glad to be here. Next year, maybe we'll come back and we'll talk about Lego Star Wars in the year 2000. Okay, I can do that. We'll operate on a 20-year delay. Okay, only uh, come to all your uh, 20-year-old toy reviews so Uh you can make your eBay purchases that much better. That's what Star Wars All In is all about. Mac, let's talk about something else. Let's do it. I remember so clearly the last time I saw your face. It was boom to Eve, and you just won that pot race. 
me at all In your big old Death Star ball Do you think about old Kidster? I'm sitting waiting for your call And I wonder how you are In them wars up amongst the stars Do you think about old Kidster In this old Mos Eisley bar? A real astro droid. How do you get so lucky? How does he get so lucky? I don't know, but Kitster tells us all of the important things that our characters need to know here about pod racing. He is really mission critical to understanding the plot of episode one. Isn't An he? incredibly important character up there with C.O. Bibble and Rick Olay. We oh, have yeah. episode one's Kitster at the time, just Kitster, That's right? True. Now being added to Kitster Banani. Benai? Kister Benai. Benai. Benai? Yeah, there's no second in there. You know there. what? It doesn't matter. Kister doesn't need it for another name yeah. when he's got the it's name It's just Kitster. Kitster, like Prince or Bono or The Edge. The Edge and Kitster are both as cool as one Anakin another. Anakin Skywalker's best friend growing up, probably, other than maybe Greedo the Lesser. We don't know. The point <laughs> is, Kitster is an integral part, as we've already mentioned, of doing the plot. He sums up the fact that, like, hey... You know, an asteroid. How cool is that to hang out with? That's important. You know what else is important is knowing that Anakin Skywalker has his pod racer. Yes, absolutely. So Anakin is here with his group of friends and we meet Kitster for the first time in episode one, The Phantom Menace. So uh, Gwygon, Shmi looking on and all of a sudden this gaggle of children comes running and surrounds Anakin and Anakin goes, after Kitster says, how do you get so lucky? Anakin goes, that's not the half of it. I'm racing in the Buta race tomorrow. And he goes, what? what? With this in reference to Anakin's pod. And then, you know, there's a little bit more, a uh, little bit more dialogue from the other friends about, oh, this will never race. And then here we get into, they all run away. But Anakin's best friend, Kitster, stays behind because he believes in him. And has nothing better to do. Uh-huh. So, uh, basically, uh, he goes, you don't even know if this thing is going to run. And that's Kitster's last line in that scene. But basically, Kitster is Qui-Gon this... going like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> At this point, everyone's kind of like, ooh, okay. Um, and then Anakin boots up the pod. It's working! It's working! And that's great. Uh, a couple minutes later, we get into the establishing of the pod race. We have the hangar where all the racers are preparing. Kitster comes riding in, wish me, mm -hmm. and uh, he delivers his last line of dialogue in the film, other than yelling, which he'll do later. Um, but he goes, this is so wizard, Annie. I'm wizard. sure you'll do it this time. That's his last line. But let's talk about how great of a line it is. He introduces us to... This is so wizard. Wizard, the most important word in Star Wars slang, so you can know that something's cool because it's either wizard or it's not. Yeah. There's only two states. And this is, according to Kitster, and he's the authority because he he's is. the first person we've heard say it. And he also lets us know that Anakin's never finished a race, and this is probably all going to be a disaster. But what's important is he says it in a cool way of confidence, helping yeah. his friend. Because Anakin's like... Kitster's right. I will finish this time after For Padme's sure. looking around and like, uh, wait a minute. Does this kid not think he can win? What is happening here? Oh, no, no, no. We're not worried about winning, Padme. We're worried about finishing the race. He's never finished a race before. <laughs> Kitster was no, no. He was there for all yeah. of them. 
I love it how Anakin just leans into it. He's like, yeah, Kitster's right. It's going to be fine. We got this. I'm nine now. Got all this life experience. I mean, I assume Kitster's the same age as Anakin. I think it'd have to be close, right? Yep. So Kitster here uh, only really appears a little bit more in the film where he basically is cheering Anakin on from the sidelines along with the rest of his cheering section. And then at the end, you see them celebrating together. He's there in that crowd as well. Okay. And that is the end of Kitster in canon. He doesn't appear anywhere else? Not in canon. No comic books? No. As no far books? as I can tell. I looked. I mean, I've read almost all of the comics. So unless he's in the main Star Wars line, which oh, uh, well, probably I don't not. think so. All right. Well, I mean, I guess that's literally all there is to say about Kitster. Not a whole lot, except for one more thing. What's that? One other great piece of media with Kitster. And that is Kitster's Song by Trevor Moore. Which you may have heard is the interstitial leading into this. Yes. So if you've never heard this song, go seek it out. Uh, Trevor Moore, part of the Widest Kids You Know uh, comedy sketch team. Uh, if you've never checked them out, they have an incredible John Williams sketch as well. And just That's to let you hysterical. know, uh, we just played a snippet of it. So definitely check it out and uh, just search for Kitster. It is by far the first thing you will find on the internet. <laughs> it should be, right? Uh, it's a great tune. Check it out. All right. Let's move on to something else. Planet Coruscant, Padawan to Darth Tyrannus, Count Dooku, mm. master of Obi-Wan Kenobi, and later Yoda, one of the most interesting Jedi in all of Star Wars, in my humble opinion, Qui-Gon Jinn, Quine? wielder Quine. of a green lightsaber. Wow, do I have a lot to say. Mac, today we are talking about episode one's Liam Neeson's character in Star Wars, Gwygon Jin. All right, let's do it. So, we first meet Gwygon in 1999 mm-hmm. in The Phantom Menace. Up until this point, we didn't know who taught Obi Wan, right? Well, right. actually, we assumed Yoda. We thought Yoda directly, that. which yeah. Yoda does teach Obi Wan, but it's more indirect. And he more does. is he's a mentor he than he is his the master. last master. That Obi-Wan ever has. Sure. To be fair, right? So we have Gwygon Jin, who we're introduced to, who is raising, training this young Padawan, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And Gwygon, we are introduced to on the Trade Federation ship. He has arrived on the Radiant 7, and he is leading into basically all of our exposition for the film. He is yep. really the first character we meet. In this brand new Star Wars in 1999, you know, uh, 22 years later. Finally yep. getting more movies, finally starting and, a new trilogy. And I think the biggest thing is he represents one of the biggest themes of the prequels, which is we are seeing Jedi in their prime. We are seeing what the Jedi Order was when they were high yeah. functioning. 
Now, the thing about Qui-Gon is, yes, he is from that, shall we say, prime era of Jedi, at least Uh what we have in canon so far. But now let's go back to the beginning of his story and talk about him a little chronologically. And we'll come back to where, uh, shall we say, his story. Where he meets up with a cinematic version. Yeah, exactly. So we already know that he was born on Coruscant. That is from the Ultimate Guide. Um, He was the Padawan to Dooku, right? Dooku of Sereno. Uh, and we see a little bit of this in the uh, audio drama slash script novelization, Dooku Jedi Lost. So uh, there are a couple of moments with Gwygon. One is him becoming interested in holocrons in the Jedi archives. Dooku takes him there and a uh, particularly old, unique holocron crosses Gwygon's eye. And he sort of becomes interested in what do these hold? And Dooku talks about how these are prophecies that Jedi prophets of the past have told. And Gwygon becomes interested saying, oh, do these prophets still exist? And he goes, no, there haven't been prophets for generations. You know, those Uh aren't around anymore. Jedi learned that looking towards the future was a pathway potentially to the dark side. And so they stopped doing it. And then later on, Another Padawan of Dooku, his Padawan before Dooku took on Gwygon, Rael Avaros, uh, takes Jin into the archives to actually study a holocron for the first time. Nice. And this is where Jin sort of becomes obsessed with them a little bit. You know, at least yeah. lets them guide him a little bit more in the Force. Now, there is a really great Gwygon canon novel called Master and Apprentice. Yes. If you have not read it, it's great. It's a story that takes place with Gwygon and Obi-Wan before episode one when, you know, they are still Master and Apprentice. Right. And it is a fantastic story. But one of the things in it is Gwygon has this vision of the future, this prophecy that he's seeing, and he's worried it's going to come true. Mm-hmm. And a lot of his themes through the novel are... Should he put faith in what he's seen? Is his future set? Should he try and counteract what could potentially happen? Basically, a lot of what we see Anakin go through, yeah, you know, and well, that raises lots of interesting questions we'll talk about in a minute. But basically, Gwygon coming to terms with this thing that he was already interested in, prophecies, yep, and having one of his own. And I'm not going to go into too many spoilers for that novel because it's great. But it's really one of the first times we see a whole story that revolves around a prophecy in Star right, Wars, right? right? right. Well, yeah. in detail, right? Obviously, episode one, which we'll talk about in a minute. Which is much more vague. <laughs> yes, it is. So uh, definitely check out the book, Master and Apprentice, if you like Gwygon. I don't want to say any more because it's such a great book. Maybe my favorite canon and book. pretty new. It only came out this summer? Yeah, it's relatively, I think, spring. Yeah. Yeah, April, maybe. Uh, very, very new. Very, very new. So check it out. So then we get into episode one, Gwygon. Yep. So let's talk about Gwygon's personality here. What do we learn about him? What do we think his character is like? Well, going through the stepping through it chronologically, the first thing we notice about Qui-Gon is just how patient he is. He yeah. is a much more calm and collective person than we've really seen. Like Yoda's the only character that sort of can echo back to this. Yes. Because they're in there and like, Obi-Wan's nervous and he's like, my apprentice, you know, calm down. It's, it'll be fine. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, I just, this seems like something's off. I sense nothing. Be calm. Like, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, wow. Okay. So obviously. Be mindful of the present, I think is the line he uses, right? Yes. When he's talking to Obi-Wan. And that's so interesting because that becomes a mantra later for Obi-Wan to Anakin. Yes. You know, stop looking to the horizon. 
um, in different wording, of course. But and uh, then when yeah. like the gas gets released and they're be- trying to be killed and stuff like that, you just see how zen Jedi can be in these really stressful situations. Because mm-hmm. like when they're running around the corridors, they're trying to get access to the bridge, and this blast door comes down and and basically Qui Gon like raises an eyebrow and goes, hmm. And then just jams his lightsaber in and just yeah. starts stoking it and yeah. very meditatively like burning his way mm-hmm. through this blast yeah. door. Gwygon adapts. Yes. As he goes. He's a Jedi who's confident in his abilities, mm-hmm. but more importantly, confident in the force. Yes. More so than I mean, I Obi-Wan and Yoda in the original I, trilogy no, no. definitely feel in the same vein. But this is a Jedi who is out in the open. He's a powerful Jedi Knight. And he's doing things we haven't seen before. He's exuding confidence in a way we haven't really seen in conflict, right? They're in battle. Yeah. It's the first time we've ever seen a trained Jedi in true battle. Yes. Other than a lightsaber duel. And it's it's very cool because, I mean, moments later, they you know, they use force speed, which we've never seen, and they get their yeah. way to the hangar bay. And then there's the great thing where we see Obi-Wan's character, where as a younger man, he's a little more snarky. And mm-hmm. he's like, well, you were right about one thing, Master. The negotiations were short. <laughs> and we see that, like, they've got this where where Obi-Wan and Anakin have much more of a brother relationship. Yeah. There's a slightly more paternal one between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. I 100% agree. And the Master and Apprentice novel it's really home even more. Uh, I can't endorse it enough. And it's so it's really great. And then we see that once we get down to Naboo, we find out a little bit more wrinkles of Qui-Gon because we realize just how, I guess the best word is pragmatic, how much mm-hmm. he takes things at face value mm-hmm. and doesn't really, he just takes things as they are in the moment, which mm-hmm. is very him. Because like when they save Jar Jar Binks, Jar Jar Binks is like, ah, oh, like, you know, it's like, oh, I have the ability to speak, which makes me intelligent. Like, no, the ability to speak does not make one intelligent. Like, there's, it's kind of like almost backhandedly cruel, but it's not. It's just very matter of a fact. Yeah, he's one of those people who just says what's on his mind. Yep. He's very much to the point, very mm-hmm. purposeful, and that can come up, come off as abrasive. You know, we probably all met someone like this in our lives. I know I've met sure. and worked with many people who I feel like have a similar personality of, they're just to the point and factual. Yep. And at first, that can be a little bit of a turnoff, right? You might find them as not friendly. But then you realize, no, they're just trying to help you as best as possible. Right. And for them, that's how they do it. And then those people can become a little, that type of personality can yeah. become a little bit more endearing once you understand that's kind of the well, way they are. It's weird to have someone who's that unfiltered. But then you realize just how few people you get to meet who are that unfiltered and yeah. honest. Yeah. And it becomes endearing. Absolutely. So they go into the Gungan city, Undagunga, and Gwygon has a conversation with Boss Nass. One of the things that's interesting about episode one is Obi-Wan is very much in the background a lot of the time. He is not carrying the dialogue like he does in the rest of the prequels. Gwygon is. Yep. And Gwygon is able to negotiate transportation. He's able to presumably save Jar Jar's life from execution, right, by getting him to come with him through the life debt. Yeah, and makes a point to do that. And it, it's, like you said, Obi-Wan's main role in most of this movie is being like the other side to Qui-Gon's opinions on things. Yeah. Because he's basically just being like, 
Well, teacher, I know what you're saying, but I know mm-hmm. what the principal would say if you if he heard yeah. that. Wygon like, is a maverick. He's a rogue. Yes. And Obi-Wan very much follows the rules, follows the council. Which is ironic, considering he was raised. But mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And he is going to become the yin to the yang. You know, mm-hmm. he's going to be the opposite of Wygon. But, of course, they learn from each other. But we'll get to that, right? So after they make it through the planet's core, they arrive in Theed. And we have Gwygon and Obi-Wan taking down droids. And this is, we really get to see Gwygon with a lightsaber, yep. which is really cool. Rescues the queen, um, you know, has a little bit more that happens there, right? Anything of note you want to point out while he's talking to the queen? Yeah, just a personal note, I love Qui-Gon's lightsaber. I think yes. it's one of the best designs in the entire franchise. And this will hurt your heart, but the only green lightsaber I've ever seen that I go, I like that. I mean, I get it. Uh, I was initially attracted to it because it was a green lightsaber, but it is a really cool hilt. Uh, You know, in 99, you're not really paying attention to that so much because to me, his and his hilt, you, Obi-Wan's hilt, they look the same on VHS. would if the Qui-Gon figure you ended up with has a little lightsaber replica that sticks into his back that gives him swinging lightsaber action, <laughs> like I did. You're right. I did not have that one. I didn't. I wasn't a big fan of the, the figures that had the action poses, action buttons, and things like that. Well, I didn't, but that's just the, that's the Qui-Gon. That's I the one you had. Hey, yeah. I get it. I get it. Uh, so then they escape through the hangar, right? He tries to pull the ruse on the battle droids, tries to trick them, right? Coruscant, A Jedi Coruscant only draws his compute. lightsaber if he has to. Right. So they try sneaking first, right? Yep. Uh, and he goes, we're taking these prisoners to Coruscant. And <laughs> Coruscant, Coruscant does not compute. Uh, Wait, uh, 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 you're, you're under, under arrest. arrest. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. they start taking out the battle droids in the hangar, escaping on the Queen Starship. What's that called? Um... The Queen Starship. The the J-type yeah. Nubian? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it, maybe it has a name later on. They give her We ships. gave it a whole name in, yeah. in if you... It's it doesn't a J-type matter. Nubian. Gwygon's on it. That's it's, what it's matters. A Nubian cruiser. Yeah, that's what matters. Gwygon is on it. And I should also mention, one of the things that's important to mention here is yeah. Qui-Gon gives us one of the newest interesting things in episode one that we had never seen before, which is now abused to heck and back, especially in video games. We see the for- first use of the force push. Because when they when they save the queen and her entourage that are being escaped, they fight, 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 and then the last battle droid he just throws against yeah, a wall with the force. Right? I think maybe there's two of them. I know exactly what you mean. But we had it, never seen that before. You're right. It's kind of crazy because it's just the opposite of the force pull. Yep. It makes because, perfect yeah, sense. It's just what, what Vader was doing throwing crap at Luke in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> it, it and but I remember watching this kid and going like oh, you're absolutely right. They got right. like, they got like Hadoukens. Really they can just it. like throw things. This is crazy. Wow. Well, you know, there is something I love, Mac, and that's a new force power. Oh, what yeah. a good one. And I never really thought about it that way. And Qui-Gon's the first one we get to see do that. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Okay. So they're traveling through space. They're trying yep. to fight their way through the blockade. And they get damage to their hyperdrive. So they have to land on Tatooine. Yep. Qui-Gon basically makes the plan that, hey... It's not controlled by the Trade Federation, so we'll just have to take our chances with the Huts. Right. And we know a little bit about Tatooine already, but these characters don't. Right. right? They don't know anything. It's just a dirt ball. So we arrive on Tatooine. Uh, Padme insists that the Queen has sent her along to learn about the local populace. R2's along and, too. And you see sort of like Qui-Gon pushing back a little bit. He's just like, like, I don't really care what the Queen wants. I I if the Queen should just trust me. Yeah. And they make their way into the market to meet a young nine-year-old by the name of Anakin Skywalker. Yep. And this is where Qui-Gon's character and story really 
picks up, right? Right. So Qui-Gon is instantly enamored by this boy. This boy's offering to help them escape the storm. This boy's asking questions about his lightsaber. You know, Qui-Gon makes a joke. Oh, maybe I killed a Jedi and took it from him when Anakin accuses him of being a Jedi. And Anakin goes, oh, no one can kill a Jedi. And Liam Neeson just kind of looks at him and, you know, then sort of looks off, sort of past him a little bit and goes, oh, I wish that were true. You know, it's yeah, a really yeah, great little character this, moment. And this for him. is all when they're in the, you know, out from the sandstorm because Anakin's inviting yeah. them back to her house. Because, and before this, I just want to mention one more thing about Force powers. Oh yeah, we also see that um, Qui Gon is trying to use on Watto the Jedi mind trick, oh, which establishes yeah. two things: one, that the Jedi mind trick is a Jedi mind trick. It isn't saying that Luke figured out. It is a technique of the Jedi yeah. to overpower the the weak minded, like yeah. Obi Wan did. Yeah. The second thing it also establishes. Yeah. That the mind trick worked on that one stormtrooper in like uh, Moss Eisley's and never again. Uh, it works for Ray. Oh, it does work in for Ray. Seven. I take the back. You're right. So it does work again. But it's I like get a, your it's point. It's bad in like fifty fifty right. And now. it also um, works. I would say on uh, in Jabba's palace. Well, right? it works on Bib Fortuna, but it certainly does not work on Jabba. Oh no, not at all. Not at so all. So Qui Gon, we never get to see him successfully do it because he tries it on Watto, and Watto's like, "What are you waving your hands around for? That doesn't work." <sighs> and Qui Gon trying to basically, you know, push his agenda here. Yes. You know, uh, Republic credits will do fine, right? Yeah. No, they won't. Yes, they will. No, they won't. What do you think you are? Some kind of Jedi waving yeah, your hand I, around like that? And I love that that's like Ugh. apparently the thing a Jedi are known for is swindling people with mind tricks. That's I love it. Hilarious. Apparently, right? So, uh, um, But like you said, when we start seeing him like take an interest in Anakin's personal life mm-hmm. and you already see the connection with um, Qui-Gon and Shmi because there's just this connection of we both really care about this boy's welfare for mm-hmm. different reasons. Mm-hmm. But... He, Qui-Gon's like, I, I got to know more. Hey, can I get a blood test run on this kid? I, I just need to know something. Just this stranger shows up and a couple hours later he wants your blood. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. I mean, also, this... <laughs> the blood test apparently can be figured out on the comlink or can be sent back to the ship as data. It doesn't mm-hmm, matter because mm-hmm. that's when Obi-Wan reports back that this kid is just jacked up with midichlorians. Yeah, not even Master Yoda has a midichlorian count that high. And that just caused the Qui-Gon to go like, okay, the suspicions and the yeah. feelings I'm having with this boy, this is the will of yeah. the Force. This well, is something to it. Yeah. Anakin asks him what, or sorry, Obi-Wan asks Qui-Gon, what does this mean? And he basically goes, I'm not sure yet, but you can tell he's interested. He's pondering it. Mm-hmm. And now he starts to make moves, right? Yeah. So Qui-Gon goes, and not only does he bet with Watto on the pod race to get the parts they need by lying to him, right? I- right. By mistelling the truth. Okay. Fair. Well, no, he says, I've acquired a pod in a game of chance, which is not true, right? Anakin built the pod. If life is a game of chance <laughs> and him happening to meet Anakin is the way that it happens. Okay. From, from a, a certain, certain point, point of, of view. view. Okay. Fair enough. So here we have him making another bet for the freedom of Anakin and his mother, Shmi. Right? But it doesn't quite work out because Watto says only one or the other. And Watto just happens to have a chance cube here, which, if you don't know, if you haven't seen the movie in a while, is just a six-sided die with uh, three red and three blue sides. And he goes, basically, if it's blue, you get Anakin if he wins. And so he rolls the dice and the die, and uh, Gwygon uses the force to manipulate it just enough that it lands on the blue side. So if Anakin wins the race, 
he will become free and have the ability to come become a Jedi on Coruscant with Gwygon. That's the plan, <laughs> right? So here we have another moment where Gwygon basically gives a pep talk to Anakin, you mm -hmm. know, letting him know, just use your instincts, be mindful of what's around you. Basically, the same speech that Obi-Wan gives to Luke, just a little bit more indirectly because it's not really about the Force. Right. But he can tell that this boy is harnessing the force. That's how he's able to pod race. Right. Right. Because there aren't humans who can do it. He's so young. All those things. Oh, right, right, right. Right. So Gwygon is there are all these little tidbits establishing that Gwygon is really interested in this child. Okay. For his potential in the force. Now, one thing I want to ask you. Yeah. When Gwygon and Shmi and Padme are up in the observation tower watching the pod race. Yes. Gwygon almost looks like he's meditating. Is he using the Force to bolster Anakin's chances? I've always been curious about That's that. That's interesting. I, I I more saw it as he doesn't trust the technology to observe the race. So he's feeling, he's feeling He's the feeling race. Anakin's emotions and what he's going through. Yeah. Because I, you almost see his hand kind of moving a little bit. But I, I, I don't know. I always interpreted that as just... That is how a Jedi, a Jedi cleanses his mm -hmm, mind mm -hmm. and opens his mind to the force and absorbs the events around him mm -hmm. when he's focusing like that. I never thought about it. The other problem we would have to ask is if he is affecting the race, you'd have to look through all three different four or five edits of the pod race to figure <laughs> out what he might be doing or not doing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, but you could totally convince me that like, he's like, I must pay attention to the things that are going on in the force. I'll make that Tuscan Raider miss. And miss. Mm -hmm. And miss. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> after the pod race is successful, Anakin, they sell the speeder, Gwygon Anakin go back to yep. the Skywalker household and let Shmi know that Anakin's been freed. He's no longer a sa slave. Yippee! And, yeah. And Anakin goes, oh, am I to come with... Or Shmi goes, is he to go with you? Is he to become a Jedi? And Gwygon basically goes, yep, that's why I went to all the trouble. <laughs> it's like, yep. <laughs> and Anakin's like, awesome, so mom can come too. And he's like, nope. And uh, that's kind of it. You know, they have their their moment, and uh, we have Gwygon and Anakin walking out of town. And here we have the first lightsaber on lightsaber action in the prequel trilogy. In the, technically in the franchise, chronologically. Yeah. Gwygon. Yep. Right? So Gwygon fights Maul briefly in the deserts of Tatooine outside of the Royal Starship. Yep. And it's great, right? Because we get to yep. see this Jedi Knight, uh, a full-fledged Jedi Knight, right? Yep. Uh, relatively young in huh. age, fighting with a lightsaber. And this Sith is just moving so fast. At this point, I don't think we even know that he's a Sith. I don't think we know what that is yet. Well, but, love, even after the scene, they're just like, what was that thing? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I love how Gwygon is able to jump up really high onto the ramp of the starship as it's taking yep. off. For and sleep. then he just looks gassed. Yeah. Like, he just went at his all, and you're like, oh, my gosh, this guy just took on a Jedi. And this Jedi was not well, uh, you have to remember, easy about it, you know? They're, they're trained as, like, they're trained in lightsaber-to-lightsaber -lightsaber combat, mostly because there's a bunch of other kids with lightsabers, so we'll practice on each other. But, like, that's the first time, in theory, in, like, a thousand years, a Jedi and Sith have had a duel. Yeah, right? There have been other weapons and characters added in over the years into canon who have weapons that are capable of going toe-to-toe -to -toe with a lightsaber right but really they're just there so jedi have more things to fight and right? on the page with like you know on the page in this the sith have been dormant for a really long mm -hmm, time mm -hmm. we, we 
we're a little more wibbly wobbly. A millennia, right? Don't they say a thousand years? A thousand years. Yeah. I think for at least a thousand. I mean, yeah, because I mean, so what, 2,000 years is like rule of two and stuff starts. Uh, I don't know. That's that's going down a anyway, path. I'm not the point of the matter it. is <laughs> you're going down a path I can't yeah. follow. Um, the point of the matter is it's been a really long time. So it's not surprising mm-hmm. that, um, you know, Qui-Gon would be a little winded by that because, A, an intense fight and a very mm-hmm. acrobatic fight. We, we get the new style that the prequels mm-hmm. are known for of these far more kinetic, agile, and acrobatic fights. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is it's the first time in a long time a Jedi has fought a presence where there is a smothering darkness in the force while you're fighting someone. Right. Uh, Really feeling the dark side, which for any Jedi around is something they only know about in theory or, you know, in places or people like, yeah, they've never felt this concentrated weapon of that. Yeah. And that's really interesting. I wish they touched on that more a little bit. Uh, But then our characters, Gwygon, Anakin get to Coruscant and they meet with the Jedi council. Yes. Right. Uh, and it's kind of interesting because Anakin, you know, kind of goes through his little tests and uh, the council basically lets Gwygon know that he will not be trained. He's too old. And this is kind of where Qui-Gon gets confrontational a little bit. Well, this is where you realize that Qui-Gon isn't just a different kind of Jedi than like his pupil. Yeah. You realize he's a straight up maverick because yeah. everyone in that room knows Qui-Gon. He's been around the block. He's mm-hmm. he's a senior member of the order at this point. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's respected. He's like, you, are you, are you kidding? Like the, you, you saw the boy's presence. Like yeah. he's super duper he's important. He's the chosen one. Did you see his midi chlorian count yeah. off the charts? Yeah. Uh, it, it's really interesting. And then after, well, anything else about to say about the council scene? Well, there? and then he's just basically like, you know what? I'm ditching Obi-Wan. He's fine. I'm taking the kid. And they're yeah. like, well, you, you can't, you can't, you can't do that. Cause like you're already, you already have an apprentice. Yeah. He's like, yeah, but he's ready. Yeah. And it's like, like there is a certain level where yes, he does trust Obi-Wan would be ready for the trials, but he's totally kind of ditching Obi-Wan is like, if, if don't screw me like this council, this kid needs trained and I will do it with or without your permission. Yeah. And now I want to go back to one interesting little plot point from Master and Apprentice now, now that we've reached this part, okay? So in episode one, Obi-Wan has the line, if you just did what the council said, you'd be on the council to Mm Gwygon. And that's just to let the audience know that Gwygon has prestige. Yes. So when he's frustrated, it's not that this is some guy who we shouldn't be listening to, some crazy Jedi. This is a person who is wise and powerful and strong with the Force. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Again, he's a senior member through prestige and stuff. He is, again, he comes in and within a couple of hours has a meeting with the council. They're willing to listen to him and what he has to say. Well, the reason I find it interesting, Mac, is because now it's established in canon in that Master and Apprentice book that Gwygon had an invitation to join the council Mm. a few years before this. Basically, it was said by Yoda, I believe, that, yes, it is because you are different. And because you were so involved in the living force that we value what you have to say. Mm-hmm. So he was respected by his peers. That's the whole point of me saying that. Right, right, right. I think that's important and, to and, note. And here. it's also really great for the Jedi to show that like when they're not a totally draconian society, they appreciate his differences. Because we haven't really talked about it because the movies don't directly beat it over the head. But everything outside of the movies really talks about a few lines that stitch up to this view of the living force. It's mentioned in the film, but they really don't 
Yes. Get philosophical about it. We're going to actually, I, there's some Gwygon stuff that there touches is. on the living force. So I was going to come back that to later? that. Okay. Well, chronologically it's earlier, but I was saving it until the end of the movie oh, stuff because it'll kind of backtrack. Okay. Sounds okay. good. Uh, so we have basically Gwygon talking with Anakin after the council scene. Mm-hmm. Just stay close to me. Learn by watching for now. We'll figure thing. this out all later. And it's great because you see that Qui-Gon Jinn is not so maverick that he's not a Jedi. He makes a point of, he's like, listen, I can't teach you anything. So just watch me. Yeah. Learn what you can with me not teaching you. Yeah. And that's interesting, right? Because he's still bound by his code. Yep. But for now, and, and that's how I read it is, hey, when this is all over with Naboo, we're going to come back and figure this out. Obi-Wan will take the trials. I'll be able to take an apprentice and I'll fight for this again. And while Anakin's explained like what midi-chlorians are and a little bit more about what Anakin's maybe potential place in this universe is, as being mm-hmm. a Jedi and stuff. Uh, I want to just mention that Qui-Gon mentions what I think is one of the most important nuggets of Jedi wisdom. And it comes directly from him, which is the your Focus determines your reality. Yes. Which is like the inversion of the coin from the statement of from a certain point of view. Mm -hmm. You know, our truths we cling on to depend on our point of view. And he also here is giving a warning of your point of view is what restricts your reality. Mm -hmm. And so focus on the right things. Mm -hmm. Care about the right stuff. Be open to the moment because otherwise you'll get tunnel vision and you won't be able to see the world as it actually is, mm-hmm. which is just profound and awesome. It is. And it's it's a little bit more simplified than some of the um, longer dialogue stretches we get from Obi-Wan in the OT. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit cleaner. And Liam Neeson is just such a great actor. His presence is just awesome. He delivers it in a way. He's not an imposing man physically mm-hmm. uh, in the films. You know, he doesn't look young. He doesn't look old. He's this sort of in between. Yep. He's just kind of relatively bland in appearance i guess yeah right but you can just tell he has this powerful demanding presence yes and i really love that and i think that's very much due to the performance oh absolutely okay so now we get to a couple of really great guagon moments we have the moment where um he's basically telling uh the queen i I came here to protect you i can't fight a war for you Right. Which mm-hmm. is kind of what they're planning. And then there's the great moment where Padme reveals that she had been using body doubles. Yep. And while Obi-Wan looks shocked, Gwygon looks over and he's like, oh, I thought something weird was going on here. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not exactly like admitting like he's not doing the, the I knew the whole time. Yeah. But he's like one note shy of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He could tell. I think he realized at some point, I think is how I always. Took I think the biggest thing about it is I think he sensed that the queen's moods seem to be connected to her signature in the force. Yeah. And so it's one of those things of like, huh, I noticed you kept changing. Now I know why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So uh, I love that moment. I think yeah. that's great. And then we get to the assault on the on the palace and we mm-hmm. get to. Gwygon's end in episode one. So Gwygon, Obi-Wan face off against Darth Maul, the Sith apprentice. Yep. We see a double bladed lightsaber here for the first time. And basically we have a moment where Gwygon is separated from Obi-Wan and after a long hard fought battle is slain by Maul, stabbed through the stomach by oh. Maul. And one quick caveat. So when they're charging, there's the ray shieldings that block them. And so all three of the combatants are just kind of staring at each other. Maul's oh, already yes. in the energy chamber. Obi-Wan's like 
like almost stutter stops and almost walks into the ray shielding. And you see Qui-Gon go look like at a situation go like, there's nothing I can do right now. So he drops on his knees and meditates. Yes. Recenters himself with the living force. And just refocuses mm-hmm. and maybe even do some voodoo right there. But the point of the matter is you can see so much in these characters. You see mm-hmm. Obi-Wan sort of impatiently waiting for this. Maul is just like trying to get a rise out of Qui-Gon by like striking it and like just wrecking. Pacing like a dog. Yeah. Just... He's just so, it's such a great character mode of seeing these three uh gentlemen in mm-hmm. their element of like Anakin is disheveled or I'm sorry Obi-Wan is disheveled yep Maul is aggressive and Gwygon is calm yep I mean that's what they're painting here yep and after Gwygon's death he has a moment with Anakin with sorry Obi-Wan I keep doing that that's okay they both train have blue the lightsabers it's tough to tell promise me you'll train the boy Right, and, his and Obi-Wan wish. being traumatized by his master dying, dealing with the fact my master was dying on the floor while I finished off Maul and survived long enough to tell me this one command goes, I mean, sure, like, what am I going to say? No, no, of course <laughs> I'm going to teach him. I guess Please I better don't pass leave the me. test now, huh? I guess I better become a knight. I hope I'm <laughs> I, ready. I hope they agree with you that killing a Sith counts to cover my trial. <laughs> Uh, so then we have Gwygon's funeral. Gwygon's noble end is the soundtrack called it. Yeah. Uh, so Where we find out the proper way to get rid of a Jedi is cremation. Yeah. I mean, we had seen a funeral pyre for Vader, mm-hmm. right? But up until this point, we had seen Obi-Wan and Yoda disappear. This is the first Jedi who didn't. And in a minute, we're going to talk about why. And then, of course, we see Qui-Gon's legacy through just wrapping this up of Obi-Wan talks to Yoda. Yoda's like, yeah, the council makes you a Jedi. We do not, we do not like you uh, training the Skywalker boy. You don't? Okay, I don't like you training the Skywalker boy. Am I allowed to though? I mean, yeah, <laughs> I guess. I mean, we gotta honor his dying wish, right? I mean, like, yeah, Yoda's basically having the same thing as Obi Wan. Is like, I mean, he just died. It's not like we're gonna say no. <laughs> um, yeah. and because of that decision, Obi Wan and Anakin's destinies get struck together, and that leads them through all the adventures, the prequels, yes. the Clone Wars, and the eventual fall of Anakin, yes. where you know Obi Wan is genuinely surprised. He never really learned his master's trick of staying in exactly the moment. He strives for it, but he doesn't believe that Anakin's falling apart, even though his more pragmatic master would say. Look, Anakin's fallen. It's okay. This It's not your fault. It's just a thing that happened. You mm-hmm. have to deal with the world mm-hmm. as it is. Look at the reality you actually have. And Obi-Wan has a terrible time accepting Anakin mm-hmm. to the point that he lies to himself for 19 years in his own mind to the point that it's like, no, 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 no. Anakin died on Mustafar. It's this jerk Vader that like killed him. It's mm-hmm. this ambition and this passion that killed Mm -hmm. him and that's a totally different person the man i knew couldn't have been that person and that just leads us to this you know dark place where like even when obi-wan is an older man and he's starting to help his own first like real apprentice you know since anakin which is anakin's son luke Mm -hmm. you know luke gets emotion emotional as he realizes with all these dead jawas like that means they probably traced it to home and and obi-wan's like uh, Luke, don't go. You can't. Well, he's going to have to learn that on his own. And mm-hmm. he buzzes off and we're left with just like Obi-Wan sort of just contemplating mm-hmm. all of this. It, you know, it's interesting that for a long time, maybe we thought this would be the last we'd ever see of Gwygon. Right. But we do get an interesting moment, right? We, we hear Gwygon's voice stitched in a little bit in episodes two and three. A little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, I can know. Uh, but then at the end of episode three, 
right before Yoda and Obi-Wan separate to go their separate ways into their respected exiles, we have a moment where Yoda goes, wait a minute, your old master has learned the path to immortality. Teach you to communicate with him, I will. What? What? Well, All of a sudden, Qui-Gon is back from, you know, two movies ago? And that honest, guy? Like, the read feels a little, I don't want to say weird, but it's a little out of place from such a somber moment we're going to. Yoda's like, hey, mm-hmm. Qui-Gon's there. And you just have, like, you and McGurr just going like, Qui-Gon? Like, cannot believe or cannot understand it and has just a unbridled excitement about the fact of reconnecting with his old master. Yeah. So, here's an interesting tidbit. Because since Revenge of the Sith, since that last little mention of Gwygon, we've had a couple more additions to Gwygon in canon. You ready to talk about them? Let's hit them. Okay. So chronologically now. So we're going to go back to how did Gwygon discover the path to immortality? That's okay. what we're going to talk about now. Okay. I didn't know that was explained in canon. Interesting. Uh, let's talk about it. I didn't know that was discussed in canon. That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> so in the Age of Republic, which is a one-shot comic book, meaning a single issue. Okay. So there's the Age of Republic, Gwygon Jin comic. Starts out on the planet Breen. Okay. Gwygon is defending this uh, wood princess. She is the the maiden of wood against the metal clan who basically want to tear down the trees and build metal things. And she is trying to basically prevent them. That's so some pretty good Star Wars nonsense. My God is there uh, protecting her. And basically it's kind of uncovered in the first few pages that this woman either has to basically say, yes, it's okay to tear down the trees or she has to die. And this metal mm-hmm. clan is trying to make her do one of those two things. Right. So they can advance their ideology, their goals. Yeah. Well, Basically, they escape the planet. Obi-Wan comes and picks them up in a ship. And it's kind of interesting because she basically accuses Gwygon of being, I thought the Jedi were supposed to be these great warriors and you ran from this fight. And this brings us to a moment where Gwygon is talking to Yoda. All right. Okay. And I have some dialogue here because Yoda basically senses his unease after, um, you know, this instance. And basically, Gwygon says, you know, uh, being called a coward isn't what bothered me, Master Yoda. It was being called a great warrior. Even here on Coruscant, the home of the Jedi Council, there is little understanding of our purpose. We are seen as mm. soldiers, servants of the Republic, or sorry, servants of politicians, with little mention of the Force itself. This is before the Clone Wars. This is before the Jedi did become generals in a you know galactic, in a galactic war, conflict, yeah. Right. So this is Gwygon and being so wise preemptively. Yep. Basically, Gwygon is the Jedi Master that they needed. Yep. To sort of essentially well, prophesize what was to come. So let's just extrapolate for a second. So what we're basically understanding here is. Qui-Gon is basically stating that the Jedi are seen as at best like cops, mm-hmm. like that they are tools of the of the Senate to go and resolve conflicts. Yeah. Right. And that they have a reputation because they have fancy laser swords of being these great warriors. And he's kind of mad because he's like, but we're philosophers of the force, like the connection to all living things. That's what we focus on. That's what we care about. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really interesting about that is it kind of sums up another thread that that we we see even in like recently with the mandalorians a little taste of it like just this idea of the jedi right um were terribly mysterious yeah 
Uh, we, we were both playing Fallen Order. Fallen Order talks about the fact of the Jedi. Yeah, they can't all be traitors. Like, there's just this thread of no one understood the Jedi. So when they're marked as traitors, everyone goes, I guess they must have been. Because they were so cloistered and so protective that even Qui-Gon's pointing out the fact of people don't know what we actually are and what we actually do. Yeah. Well, and to back to the comic book, Yoda has a line saying, mysterious, the force remains to many. And misunderstood, those who use the force often are. Right. Mm. Exactly what you're saying. Yep. So Gwygon replies, and yet our actions are a reflection of our purpose. Perhaps the Jedi Council residing here in the capital is part of that problem. We are used as a weapon and thus we are seen as such, perhaps even by ourselves. Mm. Which is basically these like comics get so good. Uh, well, that's basically just a summation of like, we're going to have the Clone Wars, aren't we? Oh, Master Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> And, and Yoda goes, on this point, the council would not agree. Like, uh-huh. you're saying this, Gwygon, but this is not how we see ourselves. Showing, once again, well, that more maverick nature of we his believe, character. We believe that being here in the center of the, the government is the best way to show ourselves mm-hmm. to, the, to the world. To be part of the galactic center of civilization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, after this conversation with Yoda, Gwygon gets in his Jedi Starfighter with his hyperspace ring... And lets the Force guide him, literally piloting with his eyes closed on instinct alone. Mm-hmm. The Force guides him to a planet that has no name. Okay, okay. It's a serene planet, and uh, you know it looks peaceful, strong in the Force. And then Gwygon finds a dark side location, and there a vision occurs. And he basically, through this vision of this sort of these tendrils coming up and taking over him kind of this shadowy spooky ominous thing um Mm. uh, other jedi being cut down by his laser sword basically he he sees that uh uh balance comes through a means beyond conflict there are ways to achieve balance without violence violence sows the seeds of the dark side unchecked the Jedi Council become that which they fight against. Mm-hmm. I, this stuff, I mean, obviously it's all added in after the fact. Well, it's also, lo- yeah, it's a lot content. easier to write when episode two and three have been made. Yes. Oh, uh, well, of course. But of still. Course. But to go back and bolster this character with a novel, with a comic book, yeah. and to make his motivation so much more clear, I find incredibly interesting. Uh, and so when he gets back, Yoda's talking with him again, and Yoda goes, ever present the dark side is, bend to it, we must not. And Gwygon goes, of course not, Master Yoda. The dark side consumes, and there is no balance to be found in such a path. Mm-hmm. And what is our purpose if not balance? Hmm. So reiterating that Gwygon believes the Jedi's purpose is to bring balance, right? Coming to Luke's story at the end of episode six. Yep. But violence cannot be found through violence. Hmm. Violence are the seeds of the dark side. And we see that, right? Luke wins by tossing down his lightsaber and renouncing violence, right? Yeah. That's how he brings balance to the Force. He is channeling the dark side. We talked about this last week in our Endor special. He is channeling the dark side when he's hacking away at Vader. But when he chooses not to fight, that's how he brings balance. And this is echoed so well here by this moment from this Gwygon comic. And it's great. It's great. It establishes that Luke was able to accomplish what an entire Jedi Order was not. Yeah. And what Gwygon foresaw. 
And that, I think, is really awesome. And a great tie between the first Jedi we meet with the green lightsaber yeah. and the last. And I love it. Yeah. I love it. It shows the wisest Jedis do choose green, Mac. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, you were telling earlier that, like, we the first time we see Qui-Gon ignite his lightsaber is when he's battling Maul. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, kind of curious, like we think of green as like the consulars, like the the more wise, the more philosophers of the Jedi Order were, go around with green. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it was just simply the same mathematics that the guys a green lightsaber in the first part, like, well, with the blue sky and the tan background, green just shows up better. <laughs> Qui-Gon has a green lightsaber because yeah. shows up better on the desert. Got to look good on the desert. Hey, I'm not going to argue it because it's great. So then we get into our last piece of Qui-Gon in canon, at least as far as I know. If I'm missing something, you can tell me. Okay. Uh, season six, episode 11 of the Clone Wars, titled Voices. Okay. So this is an episode that focuses around Yoda hearing Gwygon's voice, yes. right? So Gwygon basically visits Yoda and tells him while Yoda's meditating and basically tells him that he is now part of the living force. And Yoda thinks that this is a trick or this might not really be Gwygon. He's not really sure. He talks to Anakin a little bit about it. Um, basically says the voice I hear does not come from within, but speaks from within, uh, from beyond. There's a moment where Yoda comes to the Jedi Council and goes, basically, I don't know, you know, what this is. Meditate with me, and they all gather into a circle. They all place a hand on Yoda, and they all meditate together. Want to call out? You see, Opo Rancisis in this scene uh, slithering <laughs> out of his chair. It's great. Really, really great. If you don't know, uh, half Jedi, half snake. Uh, Opo Rancis no, 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 is no. great character. No. All Jedi, all snake. <laughs> Balance. Balance. should be, right? <laughs> uh, so we have this great scene, and no one hears the voice but Yoda. Right. Then they go into this sensory deprivation tank where they basically put Yoda in water, deprive him of oxygen, bring him as close to they can with uh, to death without dying to try and reach the source of this voice. And Gwygon ap- appears to him here in this moment and basically tells him, no, no, Yoda, this is not the way. This is not the way the Force wants it. Go to Dagobah. That is where you need to be. And so now we know why Yoda ends up on Dagobah later. But yep. in this same episode... Yoda goes to Dagobah alone, right? Because Gwygon basically tells him to. Uh, Yoda's still not sure this might be a trap, a trick by the dark side, but Yoda goes. And when Gwygon, basically his voice, greets him on Dagobah, greets Yoda, Yoda goes, how are you here? Mm -hmm. And Gwygon then gets a chance to explain how Force ghosts work. Okay. So. Uh, basically all Gwygon is, is this voiceover and this sort of ball of light. These kind of like six or seven little pinpricks of light that are kind of floating around in sort of a circle fashion. But Gwygon basically explains, I am a manifestation of the force, a force that consists of two parts, the living force and the cosmic force. Beings are part of the living force, which powers the cosmic force. All energy from the living force feeds into the cosmic force and communicates through the midichlorians. Mm. I exist where there is no future or past. I can't, I don't know what's going to happen. The future is always changing, but we are influencing it as this manifestation of the cosmic force. So basically all of the living things in the universe 
it's the circle of life, right? I mean, that's what it is. They die and they become part of the greater force. It's, for lack of a better term for us here on Earth, your soul, right? Or right. the closest thing to it. Of We have this moment of like, when you die, what happens to you? Well, your essence becomes part of this greater good, this whole. You yeah. don't get to maintain your individuality, but Gwygon has found a way. And it is heavily implied that Gwygon was able to do this because of what we learn about in that comic book that we just talked about. That's sure. basically the beginning, and this is kind of the end, okay? So here we have... Uh, basically, Gwygon saying, my training was not complete. That is why I cannot manifest myself to you. That is why I'm only a voice. And that also gives us a little bit of the retcon explanation as to why he doesn't disappear at the end of episode one when he dies. Right. Right. He because still has he's, funeral he's a living pattern. creature. He he doesn't get to transfer all of his living force into the cosmic yeah, force. Yeah. So we get an explanation for why that is. And we also get to touch on Metachlorians here a little bit. Mm -hmm. Right. And how they work. Right. So the cosmic force influenced the metachlorians, which influenced the beings who are part of the living force. Yeah. It's kind of like what many chlorians are. They're the radios. They're the way that the cosmic force communicates and interfaces yeah. with living beings. Right. So when a Jedi is having a vision, when a Jedi is feeling things that are about to happen. Right. When a Jedi has fast reflexes, which is how we yep. see it manifested a lot of the time. Yep. It's because the cosmic force, this sort of path that the universe is on, it's always changing. It's always veering in new directions. Always in the motion. Right. But this path is basically communicating to the metachlorians. Yep. And therefore talking to the being who's part of the living force. Right. It's this really, really simple but interesting way to explain a lot of these philosophical and mythical dangling threads yep. from the prequels. Not saying it needed it, but it does tighten right. it up. Well, I mean, it even makes context of it's the that kind of discussion of the cosmic force being timeless and outside of time, yeah. but still moving along with it in a weird way. Yeah. It also helps sum up things like when we start adding time travel and rebels to mm -hmm. to Star Wars of the fact of like, well, why would that work? It's like, well, because you can always look back on the past. The past happened and the cosmic force has an eternal memory of that. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that the future is set. It mm -hmm. just means that the past can always influence the future and that the future is always in motion, even if that means the past getting rearranged yeah. a little bit. It is. You're absolutely right. And it all ties together and it all becomes part of this one bigger story. Now, there is one more little bit here oh. between Gwygon's voice and Yoda. Well, okay. So the key, right, after he talks about how the, the nothing is set, right? Things are always changing. He says to Yoda, Gwygon says to Yoda, the key is knowing how to see the moment and seizing the opportunity. I have been tasked with guiding you forward. There can be many outcomes, but your path is clear, Yoda. You have been chosen as I was before you. You will learn to preserve your life force and so manifest to commune with the living after death. This is the path of only a few Jedi. Now, hold on a minute, because this is big. Okay? Yeah. This is one in the Clone Wars. So this is still George Lucas Star Wars. And I'm yep. not trying to say that one is more valid than the other. You know, I love all Star Wars. Well, and, and, but and, this comes from the mind of Lucas himself to a certain extent. Right. And here we have this moment where Gwygon is confirming in Star Wars canon 
that the cosmic force influences the path of the living force. Yes. It 100% does. It's right here in this dialogue. <laughs> I, I don't think you can argue that, right? Right. No, no, no. It's totally there. So what does that say about how the force affects reality? How the cosmic force affects the living force? The reason I'm ramping this up so much is yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're going to hear a lot about this in The Rise of Skywalker. We, <laughs> we'll see. Maybe not talking about a whole 10 minute exposition about the living force versus the cosmic force. That's the one thing that's great about television shows and comic books and books is we have more time to talk about these things because those, those formats, those mediums of storytelling are more long winded by their nature. They have more breathing room to do exposition. And And that's why the expanded universe is so loved by so And that's my one thing is like, if you want to tell me that there's a 10 minute soliloquy about like the living force, in the rise of the Skywalker, or in Rise of the Skywalkers, the rise of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll get there. The, the darkness rising storm plus uh-huh. what, whatever SEOE like name they have for this thing. I don't like any of the names for the sequel trilogy. Just going to say that flat out. They're mm-hmm. fine, but they're very 2010s names for stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was going to say is, um, I think the novelization. We'll have what you're looking for. I think in the movie, because of the compression of storytelling, mm-hmm. we may have allusions to it, just like we did in the prequel. Yeah. Like the living force is established by George Lucas in episode one, sort of. Mm-hmm. Like it's brought up, it's talked about a little bit, mm-hmm. and then it's sort of just let go because it we don't have time to explain well, a philosophy right, to you. So let me put a little bow then on kind of what I'm saying. And we'll talk about this a lot yeah, yeah, more yeah. when we get to our Rise of Skywalker predictions. Oh, sure. Which we're going to do a special on. We will. God willing. I think the Force set the Jedi on a path mm-hmm. to bringing balance. When it became clear that the Sith were interfering too much, yep. the Force created Anakin to try and steer things in the right direction. Sure. I guess what I'm saying is we have enough evidence in canon, and I think this is the nail in the coffin, to basically say that what happens is heavily influenced by the cosmic force. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're going to have some sort of reference to it to tie this whole thing up. Well, so I'm going to bring up one side thing to this, Mm -hmm. uh, which is one of the things that's always bothered me about a sequel trilogy existing is because I felt the force was already balanced. Well, for many years there was balance. Well, what I mean by that is like, there is no Sith. There is no Jedi. And you know, Luke is the last of them. Mm-hmm. And one could argue that I think him starting an academy is upsetting the balance again. I think you're 100% because there was right. I think that's neutrality. very strongly implied in The Last Jedi. Um, and so is the, that his prestige, that mighty Skywalker blood, is what drove the Force yeah. back out of balance. I think that's yeah, um, not speculation. I think that's in there. Well, but I think the thing about it was that was in The Last Jedi. That was not in Force Awakens. I think The Force Awakens is going down what every EU story was, which was, well, uh, Anakin uh, did Jedi because Yoda said, pass on what you learned. So Academy, there's a Hogwarts for Jedi. It has to be. That's what has to happen. That mm-hmm. always happened. Yeah. And I and I kind of like always thought that like it was weird going beyond six because six had six movies that felt really, really balanced mm-hmm. um, in their telling. And to me, some of the greatest Star Wars 
ever made is another place where Qui-Gon shows up. And because of the nature of it, is it Qui-Gon speaking through the netherverse like he did in episode two where he shouts out to Anakin when he's killing the Tusken Raiders to stop? Or is it all part of the fever dream that is the Mortis trilogy of Clone Wars? Mm -hmm. Because he manifests, voiced by Liam Neeson, um, to Mm Obi-Wan on the planet Mortis as that more so than anything other than maybe The Last Jedi in canon explores the light side, the dark side, through the daughter and the son, and the father who's the balancing that keeps those two forces in Mm -hmm. equilibrium. So to bring it back around, because we went down this rabbit hole a little bit then. Sure. There is a line here. Excuse me one second. Uh, Van for a second while I find it, huh? Well, the thing about it is I love the Mortis trilogy because it's the, it's the deepest star Wars canon star Wars made by Lucasfilm has ever gone into just spending time exploring the Jedi philosophy what is the light side? What is yeah. the dark side? What is the nature of the force? How does yeah. it affect the universe? And we see through characters like Ahsoka, we see like her own fears about what's going to happen and what it means for her to grow up in these very troublesome times. And Obi-Wan being pulled towards the future and watching out for his apprentice. And what does that mean while being called to by his master about the inner conflicts Obi-Wan has? And of course, Anakin, who is on a path to be a hero, he wants to save the universe to make it a safer place for his wife, and he doesn't know it yet, but eventually child, and he's consumed by this dark energy that is his doomed fate to become Vader. Mm -hmm. Again, talking to the timeless nature of the cosmic force that they're all experience. Right. If that experience happens, I love how ambiguous it is of did they go there and forget or did it not happen? Yeah. And the answer is, in the cosmic force, yes to both. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it is interesting because in that episode, Voices, Yoda references their experience on Mortis. Mortis. He asks Anakin about it. And Anakin basically goes, I couldn't tell you. Right? We had some sort of trip or vision or something, mm-hmm. but I couldn't explain it. Well, Which is good because Anakin would go, I become an evil armor-clad guy who murders you all, yeah. including the kids. <laughs> Well, I think we are really going to see Gwygon be the beginning of balance. I, I think that's his greater purpose. Yeah. I think this line specifically, the dark side consumes and there is no balance to be found in such a path. When mm-hmm. Luke harnesses the dark side in The Last Jedi, well, the flashback scenes we see in The Last Jedi briefly, briefly the force gets out of balance, I think, because of that. Yeah, and That's... I think it, and I think it's one of the only ways to get to what Disney I think is marketing entirely too hard because it would require them to have in my opinion be far more thoughtful about all three movies having a central arc that no one can question. They are advertising the fact this is the end of the Skywalker saga, that mm-hmm. these nine movies mm-hmm. were going to have stuff in this movie mm-hmm. that stitches back and connects all the movies that came previously. And this is a conclusion to a trilogy of trilogies. It'll be really interesting when you look at the original trilogy as the middle. Yes. Right? We look at Empire the dark middle as chapter. the middle. We look at, uh, you know, I guess, Attack of the Clones as the middle. The original trilogy is now going to be the middle. Yes. And that is going to be interesting. Yep. Because we will see that while Luke brought balance to the Force, Anakin brought balance to the Force temporarily, right? Yep. What happens that throws it back out of whack? 
Is it Luke's actions? Is it Snoke's actions? Is it Ben's actions? Is it Sidious? Right? Is it a combination of some of that? Something throws the Force back out of out of balance that causes mm-hmm. it to awaken in the Force Awakens. Right. I think that is what we're going to see. And I think Gwygon is the first character chronologically who hints at all this. And again, he plays through everything. Because again, I, I, technically, are they canon from a certain point of view of the book? Is from the book is the book from a certain point of view canon? I think that's kind of a wishy washy middle ground, but I would consider well, it. I mean, it's part of the canon timeline. Well, one thing I want to point out about that book because I set it up earlier, but then we needed to talk about other things to get there. Yeah, it was like Obi Wan, like at the Sandcrawler. What was he doing while Luke was rushing off to the Lars homestead? Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that there's just a very matter of fact of like Obi Wan like looks over and says, "Qui Gon, what am I going to do about this?" And Qui Gon's there. And it's established that those conversations and a discussion of, yeah, Obi-Wan was taught by Yoda how to reach his master. And he has had conversations at nauseum over time on and off again with Mm -hmm. his master, learning the trick of how to stay beyond death because Obi-Wan is also going to be gifted with that power. Mm-hmm. He is also able to meditate and and prepare the book that Luke is going to have, which is going to be his only Jedi training manual, manual to like learn what his destiny is. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so important that the relationship of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan continues past there because it's that book and that information that's going to influence Luke. And, you know, it's just, there's a great sense of parentage between all the Jedi Masters of, you know, Yoda to Tyrannus to Qui-Gon to Obi-Wan to Anakin to Luke, this through line of generations of this information trying to get where it needs to be and make destiny work the way it's supposed to. Eventually, someone in the living force will have to understand the cosmic force to bring balance. Yep. And maybe that's where we'll end up in a couple weeks here when we get a episode nine. All right. Well, or, or we get a spoiler of like Liam Neeson walking around the red carpet or something and going <laughs> like, he must be in it then. Yes. And hey, maybe we'll have to revisit Gwygon after the Obi-Wan series. Who knows? Oh, I really hope they touch on that. I think we will. So I think we will. Well, until then, I think we've, we've been fairly exhaustive at exploring Qui-Gon Jinn. One, one of the most interesting character and definitely so cool because he gave a counterpoint to everything Mm -hmm. Yoda said of like, Oh, there's another way. There's another point of view to all this dark side, light side stuff. The perfect example of a character who has become better with time. Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, let's move on to something else. Wow. was a doozy. Two really long topics. One incredibly quick topic. Uh, yes, yes. I mean, all of equal importance, I think. I but, think so. Well, um, yeah, let's be honest. Kitster is more important than everything else we say, talked about. Yeah, yeah. Living force, important memories of one of the greatest media partnerships of all time with Lego and stuff. Or the word wizard ending the vernacular of the universe. What's yeah, that's more important. important. You're I, right. Yeah, I, you're you're I not wrong. It's, there, it's obvious. It's clear. It's very clear. <laughs> Mac, I had a lot of fun today. We went down some paths I wasn't expecting. You know, the one thing that's happening that we really didn't intend to happen is we didn't intend this show to like kind of cascade on itself. Mm-hmm. These are supposed to be um, separate. 
as we said, hitting I feel lucky on the Wikipedia page, <laughs> right? But I feel that some of the things that we've talked about, whether it's our, our, our own memories with the toys mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or whether it's talking about, you know, the nature of the forces we're already talking about. I mean, our Qui-Gon uh, conversation is very informed by what we did with the exiles mm-hmm. and how those were different and about the midi chlorines we've already discussed. There's just like no way not to build on the conversations yeah. we've already had. So if you're listening to this and you're finding that great, please let us know. So I don't feel as apprehensive about making mm-hmm. them less episodic. Yeah. If you're not finding that great, please let me know. So I can fuel that insecurity about us not being episodic ah. enough. Um, but either way, I, I definitely think we are getting to deeper, more meaningful, more interesting topics while still keeping it not going into the weeds on everything mm-hmm. in the sense of like, if you want to just listen to Qui-Gon, you just listen to that section. You get a lot of fun stuff about yeah. Qui-Gon and you don't need to know every, you don't have to listen to all of us all the way. Again, we need a name for those listeners, those people who are listening to all we consume, you know, consuming everything I along mean, with us. Mac, I've been calling them our Star Wars friends because that's what they are to me. You know what? That That's good. You know what? You know what? That's the level. If you're all the way in, you're our Star Wars friends. Otherwise, you're an associate member. No, you can even be no, a no, fan. No, 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 no. Everybody yeah, is. See, our Star that's Wars why fans. gatekeeping. That's why you get to avoid that. Everybody is a Star Wars friend. If you listen to us talk for one second, but what if they don't like Star Wars and they listen to us? Then they're just a friend. All right, we'll figure it out as we go, I guess. We'll, we'll, we'll figure, come back with a solid plan listen, next Listen, by the time we get that Patreon up, we'll have tears, and that's when we'll oh, stratify we'll all you, all and we'll see know. who our real friends are. No, um, <sighs> I, to be very honest with you, though, uh, whether this is your first episode you've ever listened to, whether this is your 100th episode when you listen to this from the future, or whether you're listening to it on episode 16 as they were produced, mm-hmm. we're really happy to have you here. Yeah. And yeah. it's... um. Please come back next week, next Wednesday. Come see us again, huh? Yeah, because it's been a journey, and I'm excited to see where it goes, just like we're excited to see where all the things we talked about, the future of LEGO, the future of Qui-Gon mm-hmm, Jinn, mm-hmm. and, of course, the most important thing, the future of Kitster. A, unfortunately, unexplored character in canon. Maybe this time next year when we talk about LEGO from the year 2000, we'll talk about Kitster and Legends, because there's a little more there. I want a Kitster LEGO. I want Marvel. I mean, when they're making the other 800 oh comic books God. they Could are. Could you imagine? You know how many did that Yoda out of LEGO this year? Yeah. Just Yoda? And they've yeah. done BB-8 I don't think we're going to Kitster like that. But what if, if we I could did just... a Kitster bust? If I could just have a scene where it's like the pod racer in parts with like... Uh, you know, Jar Jar with numb tongue action and <laughs> Kitster and Greedo the Lesser and, you know, all this kind of mm-hmm, stuff. It, mm-hmm. It'd be fun. It'd be really fun. All right, Mac. We let's let's wrap this one up. This was a long night. huh? Hey, we, yeah. Yeah. This is this is definitely I think this Mike Clockin is our longest. It's close. Uh, uh, not no, what? quite, but it's up. Not there. quite. We're, we we don't go over the two hour mark a lot. And and I'll just be honest with you, listeners. The goal is not to go much over two hours because we value your time and we want to make sure that, you know, you have plenty of stuff to listen to every Wednesday. And for that matter, until next Wednesday, may the force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Burgess III, Ross Grico, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. 
Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, movie clips, and sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2019.